Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you vent for before the before the switch on, or should we just? Are we not doing it right now? Is I can't really think of anything. Like I, I usually, I, I don't prepare bits, but sometimes something the the mood you hits me. Don't prepare me. bits. No. Wow, it's all off the cuff. I'm not like a I fucking. I thought you workshopped. What am I like? Bits. A cruise liner comedian. No, I just. I wouldn't say that. I just go with it, you know. So let's just go with it. Here let's it is. Do it. My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to another episode of Ireland's favourite music show. It's no encore podcast, everybody. They just uh, keep coming. It's true. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash. Almost forgot to say words there. Forward slash no encore, no encore if you'd like to support the show. Thanks to everyone who does. Uh, Craig, it's getting colder and darker by the day. The clocks, I believe, are going back this weekend. Yeah, we're hey, getting brighter and warmer though, aren't we? I don't think so, no. 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 Just Bit- me? Bitter and cold and twisted and, that, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, the clock shouldn't be going back anymore. It's a, it's a fucking joke, if you ask me. Yeah, I me. thought that was was that not supposed to already be a thing that was gone. From They've our been lives? talking about not doing it, but then they're going to continue to do it. So, yeah, five months of darkness. Excellent. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's a Friday morning when a lot of people are listening to and this. And it's nearly you know, Christmas as well. Weekend. Nearly Christmas, the worst time of year. Um, anyway, listen. So if you are listening to this on... Oh, no, no that, that's a week from now. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're putting they're putting Zara Hedman and me on the radio together at the same time. Oh, Jesus On Christ. RT Arena on Friday, November the 4th. Pure alchemy. Tune in. <laughs> what could Pure possibly... Alchemy? Is that what they were What it? could possibly go wrong? Uh, anyway, listen. What could go right, though, on this show? What are we doing this week? We're doing another album review, Dave. Unbelievable. We got a taste for it last Zero, week. Baby. Back in it. Yeah. Shocking. It's, this week it is... Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's called Midnight. I have a lot of quick prep to do. Um, <laughs> it's called Midnight. Jack Antonoff um, produced the whole thing. last Friday. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I listened to it a few times. Uh, I think she's... Um, okay. I think it's really, really cringeworthy. I, I'm probably getting in trouble for this because the people probably think it's sexist or something, but like, there's plenty of men who sound ridiculous when they do this as well. I think she can't pull off cursing. 
Yeah, I mean, we had this discussion when Reputation came out. We yeah, reviewed that. Yeah. Just when, yeah, when she tries to edge it up a notch. Like, she's a really good narrative songwriter. She's very gifted lyrically, but when she tries to become a bit of an edgelord, it just goes a bit. And I had the same feelings. There was lines that jumped out of me in otherwise kind of enjoyable songs. And I was like, uh, yeah, there's the one, sexy baby thing. Yeah, that wasn't good. But there's one where she's like, um, it's a real fucking legacy. And it's like, nah, I'm sorry, you can't pull it off. It's it's fine. I listen to the album, it's fine. It's yeah. like 7 out of 10, I guess. I mean, well, we're not reviewing that. No. We're reviewing The Car yeah. by The Arctic Monkeys. Vroom, vroom. vroom it's vroom. Arctic Monkeys. Boom, boom. Yeah. And we've also got a guest in the building. Not quite yet. Not but quite any yet. moment. Any possibly. moment. He's yeah. going to kick that door in. Neil Dexter will be rocking up. Joining us for Top 5. That's true. We'll have a chat about his album, debut solo album, uh, I'll Be Ready, which is out now. You should check it out. I've been really enjoying it for months now. Yeah. And if you um, say if you say the name of the album title very fast, I'll Be Ready, it sounds like you're saying Alvaretti. I which, also who's not of, on the album. I kind <laughs> of think of the Baywatch team as well. Oh yeah. Which is no bad thing. I, I also find it bizarre that like Dahi's album, which he's on, comes out and yeah. I'm here now. And then it's, here's Neil Dexter with I'll Be Ready. And then someone else <laughs> sent me like a, like a, a link to some dance track this week called I'm Here Now. I'm like, what's happening? I kind of, yeah, I would, it, it's like when people do those at this stage quite annoying Twitter things where they'll they'll post a tweet every day and it'll have a letter and at the end they reveal that they had a message hidden in the yeah, first yeah. letter or of the everything. words yeah, 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 and they're yeah. like you should go back and check out my tweets and everyone's like oh this is genius I'm like no it isn't but this is like maybe a cross Irish music industry thing of just like having a weird conversation and song and album titles I would enjoy that maybe that would be good we're doing top five songs written for other artists mm-hmm. um, we we had a rationale for this about three weeks ago. When we I've forgotten what it was. Yeah, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, Neil will be de- delivering his own list. We're it's going me and you combined. versus him, which we've done once, only once before. Uh, with David Tapley? No, Tapley picked. Oh, we had five. tree lists. Yeah, yeah we and, had tree then, lists and then we were like, we can never do that songs, again because yeah. like, long songs, long episode. Uh, no, no, uh, I struggled to remember until until it hit me there when I was uh, washing my hands in the bathroom. Um, it was me and you at Christmas time ish. I think it was. Maybe I'm wrong. It was episode 300, and it was with. Colin O'Regan. Ah, uh, of course. Top five songs about music. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. That was a good. That was a good one. Ridiculous top five to do. So anyway, um, we need to get our move on because Neil will be arriving at some point during the show, overhead the albatross style. Yeah. And we'll have to magic him in, much like we did with them. So how about we kick on in this fashion? Start spreading the news. Thanks, old blue eyes. And here to spread that news is the man who put it together. It's Craig Fitzpatrick. It's old green eyes. Um, our top story today is Pitchfork. The readers have had their say. We chatted about their um, top um, top 200, was it, albums? And top 150 or something songs of the 90s, however many there were. A couple of weeks ago, there was a bit of controversy around the selection. It was quite um, optimistic, I guess. Um, and yeah, a lot of the kind of old school, I guess, Pitchfork readership was saying, this isn't the Pitchfork I knew and loved. It was an interesting, both of them were quite interesting lists. The readers have had their say. The readers poll has been delivered. And they kind of both don't bear a massive resemblance to each other. Okay. It's it's striking, I think, because usually with these things, there's a lot of kind of overlap, as you would assume, from like a, a readership and an actual kind of 
a bunch of writers you think they'd be on the same page or like influenced by each other but it seems like these things are very much diverging do you want the top 10 songs I do because I deliberately didn't look at it Craig so okay, I could be shocked right. on air here we go at number 10 Fake Plastic Trees Radiohead Radiohead there's a ton of Radiohead you've got that thing where all the kind of favourite pitchforky artists are having multiple tracks which is always a problem with readers polls so Fake Plastic Trees is number 10 okay good I song I think kind of overrated yeah maybe. it wouldn't be in my top 10 songs in yeah. the 90s man Mazzy Star Fade Into You at number nine. Yeah, classic. Great song. Sabotage, Beasties. Also a classic. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's great that it's there. Karma Police. I made uh, Radiohead. Uh, again, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Sounds a pattern. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> then we have Bjork, Hyper Ballad. Tremendous song. Yeah, I prefer I big time I... sensuality myself, but you know. I prefer yoga. Um, then we have... Pavement with Gold Sounds, which was Pitchfork's writer's number one, number one previously. years back. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So it's still hanging in there for the readers. Are you going to see them? They're coming over next week, I'm aren't going they? to see them for the second time they of year. They played three nights in London just there, I believe. Yeah, there's rave reviews. I saw Swimmers Jackson on Twitter went to all three of them, having only planned to go to one of them. And it seems like he ended up on some kind of weird uh, adventure in which he went to all three of them somehow and said that they were incredible. Different sets every night, possibly. Yeah, it seems like they're switching things up a lot and kind of leaning heavily into certain albums. I can well imagine getting caught up in the moment and being like I'm going to go again um, they're incredible at Primavera so yeah I'm looking forward to that it's only about two weeks away okay it's going to be great um, then we have your boys Smashing Pumpkins 1979 yeah I mean it's not in my opinion their best song but no, it's up there but it makes it's sense definitely up there it's the yeah. one a lot of people can maybe agree on it's the poppier number yeah um, then we're at where are we at we're at okay we're at number three number three is Common People Pulp great song Incredible song. And we have Paranoid Android right again. I don't know about this. Was this number, I think this was number two actually for the critics. Was it? Just behind Mariah Carey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mariah, I think, doesn't feature at all in the list. <laughs> uh, Optimism be damned. There's a bunch of the top 10 for uh, the writers that just felt like give about me, 60. Give me a clue here and the listener a clue as to what the reader's pitchfork number one is. Um, I would say probably the song that had the biggest impact on 90s rock. Probably the most iconic song of the 90s, but one you would assume would definitely not be picked uh, due to being overplayed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, this is going to wreck my head now that I don't now if I don't get it. Um, big guitars. Big guitars. Yeah. Song 2 by Blur. No. Damn it. From a tree piece. Oh, Power trio. I think I know it. Oh, 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 it's Nirvana. Yeah. It smells like Teen Spirit. It smells like Teen Spirit. Oh, come on. I mean, like, it is brilliant, but it like... Is, but it's that one of like, yeah. I'm never going to put on Smells Like Teen Spirit because it's just so overplayed. It has no... But then, can I you can deny understand, that it's great? Yeah, I can understand why it would yeah, to yeah. top about like this. Fair enough. It is iconic. Um, yeah, let's quickly go through the top 10 albums, right? So Nirvana again at number 10 in Utero, which I was delighted with. Mm. Then you've got The Low End Theory, number 9, Tribe. Um, Wu-Tang, number 8, 36 Chambers. Bjork, homogenic, homogenic, Radiohead, The Benz, Porter's Head, Dummy, <laughs> yeah, fair. In the airplane over the sea, Neutral Milk Hotel, that's a very pitchfork. Extremely pitchfork yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nirvana again, never mind. <laughs> that man, Nirvana again. <laughs> the number one album from the writers was... Is it Radiohead OK Computer? No, it was Loveless for the writers. Number two oh, sorry, for yes. the readers was Loveless by okay. MBV. Ireland representing and then OK Computer. Number one, for fuck's sake. 
again, I'm like, like I, I still threaten to get into the Radiohead thing properly, but like, do, are you not bored by them dominating polls and stuff at this stage? A little bit. Yeah. I, I absolutely oh, ad- bored. Probably yeah, is. Yeah. I absolutely adore Radiohead. They're very much of a certain mode, though. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's not a lot of diversity going on there. I don't know. It's it's exactly what you would assume it is those lists well if it's diversity you want from this podcast (laughs) you're not going to get it I've got some bad news for you yeah you're going to get another Bono story (laughs) time to talk about Bono (laughs) it's like the the fucking the publicity we're giving him for this book I mean like it's ridiculous we haven't even got a copy of it he deserves it come on the show you coward he has a dread. Oh, yeah, come on, Bono. It would be the, incredible. Can you come fucking on. imagine me and you interview Bono? I think he'll do. I think he'll do <laughs> the it. Four-hour episode. I can confirm he will do it. Uh, Bono's address, the 2014 controversy. I thought you were to give out his address there. <laughs> Bono's address. <laughs> Bono's address, by the way, will be revealed unless he comes send on. Send him. Podcast. Yeah, send him letters uh, um, imploring him to come onto the yeah, show. No, we're not gangsters. Last week's news heading to was threatened by, by the, uh, local podcasters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the difference? He's addressed the um, controversy around the songs of innocence thing ending up on like everyone's phone. Mm-hmm. Um, Back in 2014, iTunes. was it? Pardon. 2014. 2014 all the yeah, way back. Jesus. Eight years. How is that almost a decade ago? It feels like they're... Well, they've released an album since then, actually. I still maintain that this was an innocent thing that got blown out of proportion. Well, that's the story he's kind of sticking to, but he is... As is the way with Bono in recent times... His very, analogies here are all over the place. There's a lot of contrition here, I have to say, right? So there's a, there's talk about um, his chat with, with Tim Cook at the big kind of reveal where he's like, oh, we're not giving this music away for free. You paid us, blah, blah, blah. Then we get into it. So this is actually in the book. Um, so essentially Bono has said that critics might accuse me of overreach. And then he said that, yeah, it is. It ha- was definitely an overreach. Um, let's see what the comment was. He's got a weird okay, so breakfast reflect- cereal analogy that I, I found to be bizarre. Yeah, let's get into it. So he, reflecting on the situation, he said, see what just happened? You might call it vaunting ambition or vaulting. Critics might accuse me of overreach. It is. What was the worst that could happen? <laughs> it would be like junk mail, wouldn't it? Like taking our bottle of milk and leaving it on the doorstep of every house in the neighbourhood. Not quite true. On the 9th of September 2014, we didn't just put our bottle of milk at the door, but in every fridge, in every house in town. In some cases, we poured it on the good people's cornflakes. So stupid. <laughs> the good people's cornflakes. I hate it. It's, it's... And some people like to pour their own milk, and others are lactose intolerant. <laughs> I hated this. I, I, think it's, I think it's really weak, and it makes me fear for the book, I'll tell you that. Yeah, he goes on to clarify that he was the only band member responsible. Falling yeah. on a sword, I like this. Not Guy O, he's the new manager. Guy Siri, yeah. Not Edge. Not Adam, not Larry, not Tim Cook. Tim <laughs> member of the band. He's rhythm that. guitar, is he? Not Eddie Q. Do you know Eddie Q? No idea. Uh, Bono continued, at first I thought this was just an internet squall. We were Santa Claus and we'd knocked a few bricks out as we went down the chimney with our bag of songs. He's loving this home invasion analogy though, it must be <laughs> yeah. said. But quite quickly we realised we'd bumped into a serious discussion about the access of big tech to our lives. The part of me that will always be punk rock thought that this was exactly what The Clash would do. Subversive. <laughs> <laughs> But subversive is hard to claim when you're working with a company that's spinning in his grave there. About to be the biggest on earth. We learned a lesson, but we'd have to be careful where we would tread for some time. It was not just a banana skin, it was a landmine. Wow. 
it's a bit it's a bit more isn't again it? he's writing his memoir or his wee more sorry so it's it's obviously very dramatic yeah um did you see the jerry adams thing by the way no there was a headline yesterday and it was jerry adams reveals that he knew nothing about bono being uh threatened by the ira hey. and everyone was just like why would you jerry yeah jerry was eager to like hop into a bono pylon and he might have let something slip there that validates you from last week though claiming his innocence yeah. But it also validates me from last week, suggesting otherwise. Let's yeah. move on. We're, <laughs> we're all about the validation. Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, listeners right, don't to the show got in contact last week. Listeners to the show, Julie got in contact with me about last week's episode. I, I need to call this out because people will be having a good laugh at my expense. So I just want right. to... I can't clarify this. It was the stupidest thing ever. Right, remember we were talking about Spando Ballet and mm-hmm. like how their songs are ruined because they were in ads? Yeah, yeah. And I said, like, you know, gold being used in the Daz ads. Right. It's bold. Oh my god. <laughs> you are bold. How does how did how did how did none of us think of this? <laughs> but yeah, um, that makes yeah, more Jude sense. Found it very amusing. So yeah, it wasn't fucking dads. I mean advertising. Yeah. Anyway, too much advertising. That's the problem. We talk about the Beatles. Yeah, why not? I put the story in. You did. It's Patty Boyd actually just talking about what it's like being married. She's to got a, a book out or coming out. It's called My Life in Pictures. Telegraph did an excerpt from it this week. Yeah, and it basically was talking about her being married to George Harrison and how uh, it wasn't all, all it was cracked up to be. So there's some backstory here. It's uh, I think she was hired to work on a hard day's night or something. And there was a whole yeah. thing about her getting on a train and the Beatles were on the train and she wrote in her diary that night, George Harrison asked me out, but she turned him down because she was dating a photographer at the time, some guy called Eric, Eric Swain. Swain. But then the next line in this kind of summary is, um, the yeah, following the fi- week... The yeah. film required a press shoot, is that it? The following week. So yeah. Boyd, excited to see Harrison again, ensured she was single for the occasion. That is... Should he ask her out a second time? And then he did. But also, Eric Swain, man. Talk about like getting fucking absolutely ganked. Well, I mean, and then per George, you know, which... Well, they got married. Um, Apparently, he had lots of affairs and slipped into alcoholism. She's had a rough, rough... But during this time, she was being pursued by his best friend. The the one and only, the right honourable, Eric Clapton. Yeah. He was continually, like, pleading his love for her and begging her to leave George Harrison. (laughs) His friend, apparently. Yeah. She eventually does do this. And then he cheats on her and has a bunch of alcohol problems. That's Eric Clapton, of course. I mean, yeah, they split up in 1987. They had a horrific few years, yeah. Um, it's a poor fucking woman. She, yeah, she had a really Although really it's karma coming it. back for ditching that boyfriend. What, what, what oh, I, I don't know. I'm joking. I'm being facetious. <laughs> no one deserves that. Um, no one deserves Eric Clapton. Fucking no. hell. What a bad, bad Terrible dude. Terrible human being. Um, but she got into photography and that appeared to be her lifeline. This new book is uh, has all of her photos in it and it's about that kind of path of her life. But obviously this is the more, you know, headline grabbing one, essentially. Yeah. Um, but the book sounds interesting. Let's all go out and get it and support the woman. Yeah. But, the book is My Life in Pictures on shelves now, I guess. <laughs> I Patty Boys. Yeah. They were chilling for Patty Boys. <laughs> on shelves wherever you, yeah. Go to Tesco's. Yeah. Get and your, another uh, thing, while you're at Tesco's, go to the music aisle because they used to have CDs still in Tesco, yeah, do they? Pick Oh, and for, yeah, they've got loads How of How do you think Adele like, has kept her industry alive? Yeah, well, if you can like st- struggle through all of the copies of Adele's album and the Taylor Swift album, you might just find... The latest release from Garbage. Okay. It's called Anthology. I'm guessing it's the best of. You should pick it up. Because Shirley Manson, Dave, for her final story, has been talking about the band's longevity, their ups and downs over the years, and talking most specifically about 
their contribution to the James Bond canon with The World Is Not Enough. Which, track for that one. When we did top five yeah. Bond themes, I believe I picked it. You did not I've always loved it. It's just to, tremendous. Just for the story that's about to unfold, I, I want it on record that I always loved that song. Yeah. Um, I think just being a kind of critical reevaluation of that song since that podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or just in recent years. <laughs> we started a movement. <laughs> we started a movement. Um, but yeah, she was talking about like actually doing it and um, she said, I just love the drama of it, the campness of it and the greediness of it. It amuses me to be part of one of the most successful and enduring franchises in cinematic history and its legacy is extraordinary. There have only been about 25 Bond themes recorded thus far and to be a member of that very small class is still a thrill. 25 years later, um, she was then asked to like pass on some wisdom to people hoping to record Bond themes in the future and she said, yeah, it wasn't all kind of great. You're going to get the shit beaten out of you, which is true of us and the people who followed us. The only person who got a free pass was Billie Eilish. I mean, I don't know how you gauge this, but like... Yeah, I mean, it, there was a kind of a lot of positivity around that song in a way that there wasn't maybe for And it won an Oscar, ones. let's not forget. Yeah. Sam Smith got savage, she continues. Adele got savaged, we got savage. It's just par for the course. Then time passes and people forget that they want to hate on you. Then the song stands on its own two feet and suddenly we're always in the top 10 of favourite Bond songs. Which, yeah, they've kind of worked their way in there. It's silly. Um, they were probably a strange choice at the time, were they? Definitely, yeah. I can't imagine, like, if you look at the recent artists to get it, they're all kind of safe bets, aren't they? Very much like at the absolute top of their game. Garbage at the time were probably... They've always been an alternative act. I mean, yeah. like, I think an independent enough one too. If you look at the, of the trajectory of the kind of late 80s, 90s into 2000s, the Bond theme, who have you got? you got Aha, Duran Duran, uh, Tina Turner. Yeah. Then you have uh, Sheryl Crow. Then you have Garbage. Then you have Madonna. Madonna. Terrible yeah. song. And yeah. then, of course, it comes around to Chris Cornell, Jack White and Alicia Keys... Adele, Sam Smith, Billie Eilish. So, like, yeah, and I think out of all those names, Garbage would be arguably, like, you know, not lower tier, but, like, less likely to sell out a stadium, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's a fabulous song. It's tremendous. It's right up there. Uh, you have to assume maybe somebody just... Did David Arnold co-write it, I assume he did? And if so, maybe he was Garbage fan. Maybe he was a Shirley Manson fan. Maybe he thought her vocals would lend, her, like, lend it perfectly to the track. Uh, she was speaking as part of this Sound of 007 thing, because there's like a new thing on Amazon Prime, and it's, okay. like a, it's like a short enough documentary on the Sound of 007, which I've yet to actually watch, but apparently it's very good. And then there was a concert film made as well. I think I think Garbage may have performed at it. Oh, there was actually, yeah, performing their actual tracks. from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she wasn't just randomly spouting off about this. It was kind of in tandem with the whole thing of, yeah, David Arnold was definitely involved. I think he's been the composer, long-term composer anyway. But um, Yes, he has. It's a great fucking song. And I like Garbage. I, I think that they're a better band than maybe they get long-term credit for. She's always been take no shit, and that's cool. She's very cool, yeah. Will you be picking up the anthology at your next visit to Tesco? Um, Tesco. Sure. It's Marks and Spencer's all the way for you. Sorry, all the way. I also shop in Little, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, thankfully. Thank you very much, I meant to say. You're very and thankfully, thankfully yeah. for my wallet. <laughs> uh, I, I like to hit Marks and Spencer's every now and then and get myself a little treat. Treat yourself? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, never, I've never broken out the trolley in Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> well, that's never Half of my end of the season with the trolley, Mark Spencer. That's like, the next Arctic Monkeys album. Full, yeah, trolley. A full <laughs> trolley. Um, well, uh, how better to segue into yes. in, into this album? It's time to it's time to put the keys in the ignition and start the car. It's the new album from the Arctic Monkeys, and here is the lead single. Uh, what's it called, Craig? No. Oh, it's not. <laughs> I cut the clips here. I went with "Hello You" because we, everyone's been hearing um, "There Better Be a Mirror Ball" for a while. It's been out for a bit. So All right, fine. I just picked an album track. It'll probably be a single because it should be. But here we go. Yeah. Hello you 
Arctic Monkeys and Hello, Hello You. Craig Fitzpatrick, Craig Fitzpatrick put out a tweet last Friday that I included in the Patreon preview at patreon.com slash noencore this week in which Craig said uh, something to the effect of uh, Alex Turner saw how huge his band could be after AM and then decided to make two very weird albums that pander exclusively Only to me. me. Uh, artists could learn from, from this kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, so I mean, like, like, do we have a spoiler already? Like, like, is a like, is there any chance that Craig didn't adore this album? But before mm-hmm. we get to your ratings and reviews and such, um, tell us a bit about Arctic Monkeys, Craig, and more importantly, this era thereof. Yeah, Sheffield's finest. There we go. <laughs> didn't go with Manchester's finest last week for the nineteen seventy five. What about but, um, Sean Bean? Apologies to Sean Bean. Apologies to Pulp. Apologies to um, Richard Hawley. The Human League. You could, go, you could go on. <laughs> I could go on, but I won't. Yeah, so the Arctic Monkeys, they've been around for a minute now. Um, yeah, mentioning Matty Healy there, like he's talked about being the most important act um, post-Arctic Monkeys. Like the Arctic Monkeys have like their Zimmer frames out and stuff. I think Alex Turner's maybe two years older than Matty Healy. <laughs> they've been around for a while. They got started young. But they were like that. It's like that kind of um, quite quaint thing of being the MySpace band when they arrived. Um, which all seems very, very long ago now, whereas I think it was more word of mouth on their behalf and like giving out CDs, but they ended up, like my first encounter with them was on like a Libertines forum where people were posting demos in like 2005. How quaint. And yeah, they were really exciting from the get-go doing that kind of parochial, colloquial, um, I don't know, indie rock version of The Streets to a certain extent uh, at the beginning. Those first couple of songs felt a bit like that. He had a unique voice though. The debut album was the fastest selling, I think, in British history. I think it remains that. Um, And since then, they've been kind of kicking against how massive they were and what people, like even that album was called, you know, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. And it seems like every time an album comes out, people are just like, this isn't what we expect from the Arctic Monkeys. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, album number five was written by 2014, which was AM. And that seemed to give them a new kind of lease of life commercially, right? Yeah. They, it seemed Cracked like America, possibly? Cracked America, definitely for them. Uh, they became kind of a known quantity there. They had a couple of albums which I thought were absolutely stellar. Humbug, which was like desert rock. Sucking and Sea, which was like actually a bit more indie, Britpoppy, but really strong songs. But it seemed like people were losing interest, even as the song craft got a bit better but yeah they they went for like Dre kind of beats and like Sabbath riffs and think, songs about I think Do I Want to Know is their most streamed song off, yeah like, copping off in nightclubs they were back to that like, yeah yeah <laughs> and people were lapping it up and um, they became a stadium act and the next move was, I guess, solidify that position, right, Dave? <laughs> well, that's what we all thought. Yeah, yeah. So when 2018 not. happened, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden they were in outer space, Craig. Yeah, if people were following Alex Turner's side projects, um, his soundtrack work maybe for like the, the film Submarine, which is some of his loveliest stuff, I think, but m- most specifically um, Last Shadow Puppets, which was all indebted to Scott Walker and Serge Gainsbourg. You could probably see this coming, but a lot of people didn't. So yeah, he went to outer space. He started writing songs on the piano um, in his basement, I think, which he called um, 
what was it the lunar base or something like that <laughs> he just came up with this really weird name for it started writing these odd songs about being a washed up like 70s um, lounge singer who ended up on the moon like in the far future and running this tranquility base hotel and casino kind of a concept record I think they said it was like a collection of short stories or something like that um, lyrically really kind of out there but brilliant I thought um, not so not so many choruses La, like the Lad Bible crew, I guess, had a collective aneurysm when it came out. Uh, people couldn't really wrap their heads around it. And um, I adored it. You've grown fond of it or you liked it straight away? I can't quite remember. Oh, um, I, I, I think I was wrong-footed. And yeah. It took me some time to come around to it. Um, yeah, uh, it's still, I guess, their big divisive album. Or is this their big divisive album? Well, this is the thing, right? So... I guess a lot of people were thinking they've got that out of their system. But well, like he Alex literally Turner said, has, yeah. I think he did an interview where he said, like, sci-fi stuff's over now, guys. Yep. And everyone was like, oh, he thank did. God, we're just going to get an album full of Brian Storms. We're back to Earth was his thing. And people right. were like, yes, here we go. <laughs> that was apparently actually their intention, right? So they got off the road in 2019 after that tour. And Alex Turner's been talking about how they're all geared towards, let's write songs that could really, like, bring the the house down, like, blow the roof off the place at the, at the style. end of the show. Yeah. Like, a really good c- kind of closer. Let's start writing songs with guitars that, like, will really kind of get the crowd going. They were just, they wanted to capture that energy, I guess. So they started trying to write those songs. Wasn't quite working. He went away, went back to his... Lunar uh, bass. Lunar bass. Got back on the piano, those jazz chords that his dad liked, because I think his dad was a jazz musician, and started working on this record, which is, I'm not sure it's a continuation, because somehow it's like there's less energy to it. It's more reserved. It's more pared back. We're back to Earth, but he's kind of taking a trip around Europe in the 1970s as a retired spy we're getting these little vignettes with lots of strings all of the strings are still there the choruses haven't quite returned what did you make of it? So I mean again trying to go going back to your kind of like the lad bible uh, crowd had a collective aneurysm like, like just trying to like gauge the I guess the perception and the expectation of this act and I mean I, I think in terms of like you know you think about the record you think about like songs and you think about like how I think it'll take time for people to tune into the frequencies and kind of learn yeah. to love them. And ultimately, I think if you really break it down, you might be dealing with like a kind of a strange classic and some genuinely brilliant, brilliant songs, but you really have to be in the mood for it and let it work its magic on you. But enough about Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. <laughs> Let's talk about the car. Um, I admire... The, I, I admire this path from them and I do and this album made me go back to Tranquility Base yeah. quite a bit this week as well and I do like that album more every time I hear it I actually keep meaning to pick it up on vinyl I've yet to do so even like I love even the artwork for it I think it's it's cool and there's some genuinely brilliant brilliant stuff on there there's a couple of misfires for me but I think it is a really fucking good album mm. um, and so I'm trying to apply that same kind of I suppose mindset to this one and I keep coming up kind of feeling left out in the cold. Um, I think it's too slight for a start. Mm. Like, it's 10 tracks, which is great, obviously, but, like, a lot of them kind of feel like they just peter out and don't really go anywhere. I don't think he's saying anything interesting lyrically. Um, It feels, like, uh, almost like 
a, not a bad copy of Tranquility Base, but like let's just do that again, but not as not as good. I don't think the songs have have the same uh, substance. I mean, like I don't dislike it, despite my kind of opening salvo here. I just think it's like. I don't think the songs are strong enough. Like, like is the issue. I think that, like, you know, I think the justification to keep going down this this particular road is like fair enough. That's fine. I don't, I don't need the first album again. Yeah. The first album's there and it's and it's great. Uh, and then you know you have the bangers like, you know, five o five and other ones that kind of like pepper the other records. And you made me actually a really really fantastic playlist there recently. Oh, Turner Classics. Turner Classics, <laughs> as as Craig called it. Um, and I loved listening to that, and I'm and so I'm generally on his side, even if I do find the kind of lounge lizard thing a bit, you know, a bit of a put on. And I do wonder as well. I mean, like, can he still sing a line like uh, "You're not from New York, you're from Rotherham"? Yeah, I think he lost those privileges around about like 2009 with Humbug. Once he went to the desert and started like hanging out with Josh Homme, it was just you're suddenly living a very different lifestyle. Uh, but I think that's an, that's the evolution of an artist. I wouldn't want him singing about Sheffield anymore, particularly. Right, but like, do you not feel like they're two, they're two very different bands now? Yeah, 100%. Again, I, this isn't me advocating for it, like, because I wouldn't want them to be Slayer, for example, where it's like the same album over and over again. Yeah. And it'd be just kind of weird if Arctic Monkeys did like a speed thrash metal album. But nonetheless, um, yeah, I. it's just a strange place to be. They're clearly one of these acts that can do whatever they want. Yeah. You know they've got They're fuck you. They got fuck yeah, you money. You know. you know. Yeah, I'll probably I'm probably in danger of saying like, oh, it's a very brave direction in about a minute. But actually, it's not. There, it's a it's a luxurious thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I mean, I just found it to be. It didn't make much of an impact on me. Okay. I listened to it a bunch. Um, I kept waiting for it to do so, and I don't know if it will the way that Tranquility did and continues to do. I don't know if the songs are strong enough. They feel a bit too meandering <clears> to me. <throat> Feel a bit too kind of just like wanderings, not really in search of much, and it does also feel very much like I know it already has before. It has already felt like it's the Alex Turner show, and his mates are just along for the ride. But then again, I mean, like I assume the other band members are on board. Now I haven't seen it, but I've seen them do interviews and stuff together. Speaking of interviews, did you watch any of Alex Turner being venerated by Zane Lowe? I did. Yeah, yeah I watched. How it did all you find it? It's just as with any Zane Lowe interview, it's just first so thirty seconds is him being like, "Thank you so much, man." Thank Incredible. You. It just means yeah, yeah. Like, Every masterpiece, everything you write is like the opening line is the greatest opening line in the history of opening lines, and every it, song is his favorite song. <laughs> every song is mentioned. Well, the opening track, uh, which is um, incredible, there must be a mirror ball. Is that the title? Yeah, there better be a mirror. There better ball, be a mirror yeah, ball. Which is, is, was just starting point for the whole album. That opening kind of yeah. instrumental swell, which is that's superb, and it feels very tranquility based. And I think from there, it's like there's there's good stuff on here, but I just found myself kind of being like. I really, really wanted to tune into it. I really, really wanted it to hit me. It didn't quite do so. And I didn't find the lyrics to be even really about anything. I don't think there's anything bad on here, quote unquote, but I just thought it was a bit too of an exercise in self-indulgence. And Mm. that's kind of what I expected it to be. But it was just like, yeah, it's a weird one. Like I saw like Fantano's review. He savaged it. He doesn't like Arctic Monkeys. No. I think he's given like below five for all of their albums <laughs> or something like that. He's got three at a time, which I don't think is on point. But I think his criticisms were kind of on point. He basically was just making the point that he just didn't think Turner was up to it, in both in terms of lyrics and even vocal delivery. And I don't disagree. I think it is too string heavy. I think it's just it's just too kind of wandery. And it's like, there's not a lot to hang your hat on here. Mm. But I know you're a fan of this yeah. era and also of Alex Turner. How's he been in interviews and what do you think of him on this record? Um... Uh, let's cover the interviews first. He's been his usual 
he doesn't communicate so well in the interviews. <laughs> like he is, um, again, to bring back up Matty Healy, I think the difference, there's a spectrum between like their interview delivery and their musical output and like their lyrical output. And I think it's much wider from like Alex Turner giving, you know, halting two word answers and then creating these incredibly lyrical songs, masterpieces, if you will. And Matty Healy, where... He writes great songs, but I feel like most of his songs are kind of just his interviews with pop hooks. Do you sure know what enough, I mean? yeah, They're yeah. the same thing. It's just him chatting. Um, so yeah, I think I think Alex Turner needs an outlet, a kind of conceit, maybe a caricature, caricature, a caricature, a kind of character or a mode to slip into, so he can properly kind of express himself, which he's been doing. The AM thing was like his kind of greaser rock and roll is back thing, which gave him that onstage swagger that he needed to be in a big band. I think actually getting more emotional and delving a little deeper, he kind of <coughs> had to go to the moon. Like he had to kind of find that distance from the audience. And with the car, um, yeah, I mean, there's some records you kind of admire rather than love. Um, this is a record that I admire and love. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake. I've been, uh, when I'm not listening to this record, I'm kind of itching to listen to this really? record. Yeah, it's Why really is it called The Car? Uh, because there's a car on the cover. Okay. <laughs> because Matt Helders, who's very much on board with the new direction, he actually won those interviews he was talking about, like, People don't quite get that, like, you know, everyone wants me to be banging the hell out of the drums and think I'm, like, sitting around being, like, frustrated, but actually it's more challenging to do what I'm doing at the moment, and it's kind of interesting. Um, I think some of his, his work on this is really spectacular, particularly that um, <coughs> Mirrorball track. Um, but, yeah, he is now a photographer, um, and he took this photo, which Alex Turner saw, of, like, just, it looks like a Nissan or something on, like, the roof of a building in L.A. On, like, a multi-story car park or something. Yeah, and yeah. it's, like, it's... It's another kind of aerial shot because obviously the last album was that constructed tranquility-based hotel and casino that Alex Turner made himself. So it's it's very much like this point of view looking down on something that you've built and is architecturally sound. Or it's kind of just mysterious. I actually agreed with Zane Lowe's point where he's just like, the car, man. Like no one's <laughs> called their album The Car. I'm sure there's loads of albums called The Car. But like that idea of just like, yeah, it's, it is very evocative. Like, and there is a mystique there. And you look at this Nissan and you're like, who's in that car? There's no other cars around. So why would you go to the top of the car park? Is there a fight going on? Like, I don't know. It's just a good kind of vehicle. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice yeah. Take a little trip. I have to ask, um, you know, I know that uh, he hasn't really heard the record, but like uh, Neil Dexter, who's here in the studio, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. hello, and has been uh, sitting yeah. very patiently. Uh, are you more of a Matty Healy man or an Alex Turner man? Um, I have like I don't like Matty Healy at all, so I'm gonna say, and I I, I love Alex Turner, uh, so I'm gonna <laughs> go Alex <laughs> Turner. <laughs> so, yeah. Simple answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, w- what's the Matty Healy beef? Um, I don't know. I just the way he carries himself in interviews and stuff, and just what I've heard. I, I haven't really listened to them much, but um, I don't really like it. It's not really my vibe. That's fair. That's and also the fact that they keep saying that they're trying to sound like the Blue Nile, but like. The soul of what they're doing is nothing like what the Blue Nile are doing. You. Like, Thank there's literally you. nothing there that's the same in terms of the feeling and the emotion and all that stuff. From okay. what I what I've heard, I yeah, obviously it's haven't. Essentially, the synth presets, isn't it? It's kind of just like like if even I mean the way the Blue Nile did it was just so, like they really spent time on it and uh, probably too much time, but like they really crafted it. Whereas I don't know if there's the same 
level of detail going into the 1975. Again, I haven't listened to it enough to, to really be preaching on this. Well, what did you think of uh, Tranquility Base Hotel in Casino, for example, if you are a long-term Monkees fan? And like it, this new album is very much in that vein. So mm. Okay, well, that's good, because I, I like when he kind of goes off and does a bit of his own thing. I have no issue with that. I'm not like, oh, they should do like Favourite Worst Nightmare again yeah. or do something with like loud drums. You're talking about Matt Helders, like, that's cool to hear that. Like, as a drummer, he's like, oh, I'm going to challenge myself and play something a bit less busy. Yeah. And I he's a that. brilliant drummer, to be fair. Oh, he's phenomenal. Like, and he just seems like a great dude as well. Mm. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably an exercise in restraint overall. Like, it is very elusive. And there's lots of points on the songs where I felt like there's clear jumping off points for more straightforward kind of popular melodies that you feel like Alex Turner could just continue and write out like he's been doing throughout his career and he kind of takes a left turn or he just doesn't give you what you want like it's quite a chase record and there's something about the slightness of some of the songs particularly like the closer which is I've been playing on constant like repeat it's like two and a half minutes isn't it like yeah it. perfect sense it just the first few listens it passed me by and now I just think it's extremely powerful for how it just kind of slips away. Uh, there's no real fanfare. Um, but what he's kind of getting at the heart at, uh, of is kind of really, really powerful, I think. Um, I think he has quite a lot to say on this, but he's doing that thing of just like picking his short stories and, you know, talking about a Mr. Schwartz, who's, which is, I think, a, a hilarious song, but also kind of really devastating. It's like, it's kind of playing up to that, like, masculine thing of like you know Mr. Schwartz is making his directorial debut and he's the man in charge and this is his big project to kind of accomplish um and he's kind of falling apart personally and that line of like Mr. Schwartz is staying strong for the crew like there's some very very funny lines but poignant lines as well and I felt like so many of the songs were him talking about his own creative process and trying to follow his muse or you know, be true and kind of faithful to his life's work while there's all this clamour around him and he knows the band are massive and he knows exactly what the people want. But he's more interested in taking that kind of slight detour. And I think the detours really work. I think his voice is really, really working the last couple of records. Um, There's kind of new depth to it. It's a really, really velvety sound. I like the kind of put on thing. I like the showman thing um, because I like a lot of those reference points. Um, You know, the big surge um, orchestrations and all that kind of stuff. It lends itself great to that. And... I think the songs are there outside of maybe Jet Ski's on the Moat, which is like, as a song title, ridiculous. That felt maybe like it could have slightly dropped off Tranquility Basin Hotel and Casino, but the rest, I thought, were all very well-crafted songs. Um, Not doing the obvious things, but with hidden depths there. And, uh, yeah, it's. I think it's got maybe an emotional punch that the last one didn't quite have it doesn't have the swagger it doesn't have the colour it doesn't have the immediacy like the last album was there was lots of big guitars on it it was it was fairly rocking <laughs> points, <laughs> you know what I mean? um, but this is not this is pared back and slight and intriguing and okay, very I'm, gonna, I'm finding yeah. I'm going to pair you back now I'm going to say that ultimately you know 
Um, much like last Friday when I went to see the Banshees of Inishirin and I desperately wanted it to be amazing, I didn't connect with it. Okay. Uh, and I didn't connect with this either, which is why I'm giving it a 6 out of 10. But I want to connect with it. Yeah. I hope it grows on me in the way that Tranquility has. But I just couldn't quite connect with it. I didn't find many flaws necessarily, but it just didn't really blow me away. That's allowed. I feel like your score is going to be bigger, so let's have your score out of 10. Nine? nine? Yeah, yeah. For fuck's sake. Really, really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a nine out of 10. Okay, hang on, hang on. Well, <laughs> well that leaves me nicely. Before we get to Neil Dexter, and we will momentarily um, on the spot ranking albums by the Arctic Monkeys oh, in order Jesus please Christ from worst to best I'm going to go Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino still at the bottom no 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 oh, top. oh sorry I'm right. a, yeah. worst to best yeah or best oh, worst to best okay worst um, well less you know I, I, I don't, I, it's probably not an album that you think is quote unquote worst because I know you're a fan but like you know the debut at the bottom <laughs> yeah. controversial yeah, controversial yeah. Neil if you go back to that track listing <laughs> there's songs that you wouldn't necessarily want to hear again they're all great but they're very of the time and we're we're grown men at this point step in here I, I feel like not just because I'm sitting on the same couch as you but I, I do kind of agree um, thank you oh God, I think great. for me Suck It and See is my favourite just because of the time Love when it, it came out the time I was in my life and just how simple and great the songs are they just they just slap. And I remember getting uh, Black Treak along seven inch and I was like, this is great. Oh, yeah. Um, but, know. you know, like they're they're a great band. Like they're one of those bands that you just, we, I feel like I've kind of grown up with them. So you just, you're interested to see where they go next. So definitely. Yeah. Okay, Craig. Um, rank okay, the album. So, so debut. At the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> then I'm going to go, I can't do, I can't. AM. <laughs> this is the fucking most hipster thing ever. I'm just like going with personal preference, all right? Genuinely. <laughs> then, um, Favourite Worst Nightmare. Then Humbug. Then Suck It and See. Then The Car. Then <laughs> Tranquility Base Hotel. Oh I think it's right up there with their best work, the new one. Yeah. Oh, I've been listening to it constantly since before it came out. So yeah. It's probably reflective of the band that I would imagine there are some listeners right now who are like absolutely like tearing their of phone course, in too. Yeah, yeah. But there's probably listeners out here who are like, dead right, Craig. You nailed that one. So interesting. Yeah. Very good. Okay. <laughs> we need a breather after we that. We do. And we're going to take a breather by listening to a cut off the Neil Dexter record it's all be ready uh, Craig I believe you've prepared this clip yes so lovingly it prepared um, here it's the title track it's Subsuous it's gorgeous it was one of those things where I had a problem picking the 30 seconds because I love so much of it I wanted to cram different bits in so here we go Ready? The title track from the album, of course, of the same name, Neil Dexter's debut record. Neil, uh, the album is out now a little while. Yeah. So I, I guess it's the classic question of how do you feel after the release? Like the build-up must have been quite prolonged and, you know, locking on your life as well. I mean, like, how do you feel at this point now that it's out in the world? I think there's a natural lull. Like we did the release and then six days later, the launch gig, which we played all the songs off the record live. So I feel like that was the point that I was really kind of looking towards and um, releasing it was great. And then so soon after to do the gig and then straight after the gig, I, I got a cold and I was like, 
just like wiped out. Well, actually, the next day I was doing the Dahi gig, uh, just sang the one song that we did together um, in the Bud Factory. What so time was, of night was that, by the way? That oh, was God, late, it was right? like half one by the time I was on stage. Oh, so man. I, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, bad influence. Yes, <laughs> bad influence, you know. Uh, but no, I actually, because I went, <laughs> I went to bed at like nine o'clock um, and then I got up again at like half 12 or maybe, sorry, don't tell Dahi that. Maybe like, no, no. got up again at half 11. <laughs> You're being honest. <laughs> anyway, and then I got a taxi in and I felt like I was going to the airport. <laughs> like it's just that weird feeling of like and then I was just like arrived at the button factory and everyone's bef- you know packed button factory loads of people up for the crack and, and I'm just like, show at like, a, like a, a pretty like loud animated crowd oh yeah I know they were an amazing crowd like they were so engaged and like the lights were unbelievable the whole thing was just yeah a phenomenal show and I've been watching the Instagram stories just being like this guy is he knows what he's doing <laughs> You know? So I, I, I guess what you're kind of getting at here is like it's been kind of a what goes up kind of situation. You're just probably in the natural kind of come down mode of it now. Yeah, I think so. Um, like just a few days of like, oh, okay. But I'm also very, very proud of what I did and, mm. and what we did, like the band as well and just pulling it all together, pulling it off. And I just got like a load of photos and videos from the photographer who who was doing it with me, um, um, William Fahey's his name. And like just looking through that today and I was like, wow, like I'm so happy with how that all turned out. So it's a really nice feeling to be honest. Yeah, um, I guess like even like early doors on the record, like uh, we've been talking on the show recently a couple of times about Madonna's Ray of Light album, and <laughs> I think is it loving you? Like, like I, I, I'm immediately transported back to that record and that kind of William Orbit esque production, and like you know, I think I think no two songs in this record sound the same, but like mm. with that one, I did have to ask. I was like, were you listening to Ray of Light when you put this together? Because it's got that beautiful, beautiful '90s kind of euphoric feel to it. Yeah, I think we were kind of straddling that line a little bit of like influenced by and just kind of. Not stealing, but kind of, you know, I think there's there's a line, but I think we get away with it because there's enough other stuff going on, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Octung Baby was the other influence, like the snare drum sound in um, oh. in Zoo Station. Like the bang! And I just kind of like that as well. And when you put it all together, you could say that, you know, but I, I think other artists have probably done a lot worse. Um, but yeah, there was a kind of a feeling, like when I wrote the songs originally, there was not necessarily, oh, I want to sound like this song. But when you go into the studio and I was working with Dave Tapley and Stephen Dunn, it's really nice to have like a Spotify playlist or something that you kind of get on a certain buzz. And when you go into the studio, you can kind of draw from all these different pools. You know, there might be 50 to 60 songs on it, mm-hmm. but then you're mid, you're mid session and you're like, you know, what, let's just stop for a minute and listen to that deadly Brian Eno track and like sit back and go, oh, this is great. And then go, oh, actually, you know, we should try that. You know, so it's a nice way to kind of spark influence or, you know, ideas. Yeah, I will say with that song in particular, there is a, there's a sound in it. I don't think it's the snare. It's like a kind of like flying saucer ch- chiming bell sound, which is the exact same as the notification, like the call notification sound on Microsoft Teams. So every time I'm listening <laughs> to the album during working hours, that when that song comes on, I have this like Pavlovian response of, I'm getting a call every time and I know the song inside out and I'm just like fuck fuck I have to get back to the desk well hold on that that suggests that I'm not on my desk <laughs> you know if I'm in the kitchen getting a well deserved cup of coffee yeah. in between or you know, so the or, yeah. a script yeah yeah, yeah. that's fair um, so that's been troubling to me but otherwise really enjoying the record the Spotify playlist uh, thing intrigues me what kind of stuff was being thrown around like what were they abiding influences I guess so there was a like there was three sessions that we did within about six to nine months between each other yeah. a weekend and it would just be like go in and see what you know the demos I had let's see what what stage they're at and just try and throw a lot of stuff at them um, but those playlists would differ depending on the time so like one time it would have been a lot of kraut rock music and then it would have been like 
you know, a lot of 80s music or there'd be even some real stupid, weird stuff as well. Like there was, it wasn't always cool stuff, but most of it was old music, I'd say. There wasn't a huge amount of modern music. Uh, it was mostly like 70s and 80s stuff. So that's probably why the record has that sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, like when I first like like tuned into the record, I was kind of immediately thinking of, of all things, like you picked last week, like Psychedelic Furs, that kind of 80s. There was washed. some Psychedelic Furs on it. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, and, like, and obviously, you know, I'm like, yes, <laughs> thank you. Good stuff. Um, but again, like it doesn't necessarily sound like a modern record trying to be a non-modern record. Like I think it just has a nice natural kind of finish to it but like I'm wondering like how much that came from you how much that came from like a David Tapley or a Stephen Dunn because I mean like obviously like you know you are a multi uh, a multi-instrumentalist uh, I'd imagine even like picking the snare sound for you is a big deal because you know you've played drums before you obviously you know like you had a different role in Spies I mean I'm just curious like putting your own kind of debut thing together do you have to at a certain point kind of turn off the perfectionist hat or is that just how you're wired yeah you definitely have to turn off the perfectionist hat but I think um, Dave and Stephen really kind of helped me to sort of find my feet in a way what what I was doing because this was never meant to be an album this was literally like I, I didn't even know if I could write songs like I was kind of like figuring it out and you might think that sounds stupid now but like really trying to find out how do I do this I've always been musical I've always done music but actually finishing an album or finishing a song even was like really difficult so it was Dave one time saying to me in the smoking area of, of the Sugar Club he was like just book the studio like I've heard the demos he sent me they're really cool and um, mm. you know we'll just go in you don't have to finish a song let's just do it and I think that kind of attitude like those guys have been doing it years so then they kind of know how it all works and I love the sound of the Tanda Felix record so I think that was a really nice way just to kind of take the pressure off and like the perfectionist thing to say do you know what fuck that like I'm just going to do it and enjoy it and I think growing up I grew up in a classical environment like my family all played classical music and I think there's a lot of that perfectionism of getting it right and like playing it right and I think as I got older I started to like kind of rebel from that and go do you know what I don't want to do that like I love classical music but I don't want to be one of those people who's like a really good virtuoso musician but has no taste or has no like <laughs> doesn't listen to punk music or doesn't like anything that's a bit yeah. different so I kind of embrace that other side of it but then as I said like coming in to, to do this album it was like yeah you do have to turn that off and just kind of for me when I finished the demos or got the demos as far as I could you'd have three or four songs going to the studio part of me just was like I don't know if I have much more to give here. I just get it to the studio and like they're quite, some of the stuff's quite emotional or it feels emotional because it's your stuff. And you get there and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to sit back for a bit and let Dave do something because sometimes when you do that, it kind of just, I don't know, you just let other people do stuff, you know? And uh, he tracked loads of stuff on it. But I also tracked stuff. So it was kind of, it felt like a real collaboration, if you want to put it that way. It wasn't like me going, hey guys, I want this and I want this. Yeah, you weren't like a nightmare. There was moments when I got more directive, <laughs> uh, probably towards the end with the last couple of sessions when I was like really starting to find my feet. And if you'd ask Dave about this, I'm sure he would go, yeah, Neil's like, probably a different Neil each time we went to the studio. Mm. So there's songs in the album that are a bit more naive and unsure of themselves and a bit more like, oh, what am I doing? And there's other songs that are a bit more like, I kind of know what I'm doing now a little bit. Um, and you can maybe hear that with the lyrical side of it as well. But like Alpha was a later song that I wrote that was a bit more like, this is a bit dark and seedy and I feel a bit more, there's almost a character here. Whereas like Loving You maybe was a bit more, or I'll Be With You is an earlier song I wrote that I didn't really, felt a bit less sure of myself, you know. Um, I'm wondering like with regards to the overlap on like the track you have on the Dahi record, Keeper for the next one, because like that, like I think that is one of the standout tracks on there. Also has a gorgeous visual that Dahi put together. Um 
I'm just wondering, I mean, like, do you find yourself in that kind of, like, like where they recorded months and months and months apart, or were you kind of like, oh, this, you know, this is kind of good, I could just take this for my debut record, like, <laughs> like, does that, like, is there any kind of, <laughs> you know, see you later, Docky, sorry, busy today, and then, boom. Um, it's a good question, like, I think music is music, so if, if it felt right to put anything on, on a certain record or a certain collection of songs, then why not, like, there's no rules, but that was written way after my stuff was written, like, okay. that was last December, so... I think also going into it, like Dahi had heard, I'd given him a private stream to my record and he kind of knew what I was about. So he kind of knew what he's getting into <laughs> uh, to a large extent. So, uh, but that that was great. Like that was one of the most fun I've ever had writing music with people like me, me, Dave and uh, Dahi, just no rules again, just enjoying it. And Dahi is a great attitude to all that stuff. Um, so we just kind of rubbed off each other and physically and emotionally, um, but it was great. Um, before I throw the interview baton back over to Craig, I'm just curious, like, I mean, obviously, like, Spies, you know, was 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 quite, like, a, a long story, I guess, like, lots of chapters of your life, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, no longer around at this point, but who knows? I don't know, like, you know, like, not looking to tease that in here, but, like, you know, <laughs> you never know. Like, like, music to me is like pro wrestling. Like, when someone says they're done, they're never done. But I'm just curious, I mean, like, how much of Spies closing that chapter led to this record and like you know would you have made a solo record do you think if if the band was still a full-time project i mean like did that, did that matter at all like is there anything you kind of took from those days or was this a completely different path because just when you were saying about you know that you weren't sure if you could write these songs like i mean like i, I would have thought that coming out of that collective of very talented musicians that confidence wouldn't necessarily be an issue but i guess that's you know very naive of me to say i guess so i wouldn't say it's naive i just think that like it's very easy to make assumptions about people who are in music or performers because they seem so confident when they, when you hear the mastered record or you hear something you're like oh well, it's amazing and when I listen to interviews with other artists like even most established artists you can often hear that same thing of self doubt or like what the hell am I doing and I definitely relate to that um, but with Spies I think we went on kind of a journey as a band and we all kind of accepted okay um, you know this is something that we're doing because we love it and it's not going to define who we are as people. And that's kind of mm. the point we got to with Constancy when we wrote that. And I remember coming in to chat to you guys, uh, which is really nice. Um, but at that point, we like we could also get involved in other projects and do other things. Um, I know myself and Jeff were in Jet Setter before as well. But um, I think it was, we kind of came to a point where I think it's healthier to just express yourself musically and not just limit yourself to one thing. In terms of the um, writing music and the confidence thing, I think... A setup like in Spies is like more democratic where you all give a bit and, you know, let's say it's 20% each. That was very convenient for me, to be honest, because it meant that I could give of myself and say, oh, here's my chord structures or here's my melody or here's this. And we would all give it and I'd get such a buzz out of that and then they'd be hanging out and it'd be all good crack. Um, I didn't have to take full responsibility for anything, basically. (laughs) So that kind of suited me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But then the, the finished product comes out and you get all the same sort of... Uh, you know, kind of praise or whatever, <laughs> or, or not praise. Maybe you get, you know. Uh, but then, but then you, you can be like, "Oh, that wasn't my twenty percent." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can take it. But I think um, doing it on your own is very uncomfortable, and uh, I think that's why I probably talk about Dave and Stephen a lot because it's like, in reality, it wasn't just me; it was the three yeah. of us. When you actually look at it, now it's my name on the thing, which I've had to just come to terms with. That's just what it's going to be. Uh, but that's more for convenience more than anything. Because if I make up a name, it'll probably be crap, you know. Well, did you ever consider making up a name? Oh, definitely. But like anything I came up with just sounded so awful. And I won't tell you oh, anything. No, no way. No way. <laughs> Please, no. That'll, that'll go to my grave. It's kind of the point I was going to make, which was like, yeah, it seems like it was hugely collaborative. A lot of the same kind of chemistry or same kind of process as maybe you previously had. But then I guess as the songs become finished and it all gets very real I was wondering how it felt to be like okay I'm going to put something out into the world that has my name on it and it's going to represent 
my tastes, my kind of where I'm at in terms of my life, that was a, a nerve-wracking thing or did it feel kind of quite empowering as it, it came closer to fruition? That's a great question. I think the because I'd finished, I'd actually finished the record in 2020, end of 2020, I got the masters back and I've been sitting on it since then. So like I released Loving You in summer last year. So that came out maybe six months after it was mastered. But in general, like I've had a lot of time with this album. So selfishly, I kind of wanted that time, you know, just to have it to myself. So now releasing it, uh, people ask questions like, how does it feel to release it? And actually it's just like, oh, like I'm just really happy now that people get to hear it because I still like it. I'm surprised that I still like it <laughs> in some ways. Um, so that's a good sign, I guess, um, because a lot of people might be like, oh, God, I'm not sure if I like that anymore. So yeah, um, I think that answers your question. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting lyrically and kind of thematically listening to it, you know, just me as a kind of outsider. There's a lot of kind of, it feels like there's a lot of certainty around it and a lot of kind of acceptance of like, I'm moving on to a new stage in my life. And yes, it's kind of hard fought and there's struggles there, but it's quite positive um, and it's quite powerful in regards of like, these are the things that are important to me. I'm kind of seeing more clearly now. Um, was that a kind of wish fulfillment or is that really how you feel? I suppose a couple of years ago, you felt like you were getting to that stage. Yeah, definitely. Like a few years ago, we were like late 20s, I guess. So yeah. trying to, f that kind of stage where you're really starting to go, okay, what's next or what's going on? And I remember yeah. myself and Lola were looking at getting a house and all the, all this real big serious stuff. I'm like, oh, and now I have a baby. So it's kind of, the, there's a whole other thing going on now. I don't know what the next album be like. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of that. Like me just kind of finding my voice and like that's why it's also like some of it's in head voice, some of it's in chest voice and it's kind of a mixture. Yeah. I didn't really settle on either one. Like if this was me coming out as like a, you know, I'd been an established songwriter, I knew what I was doing, I probably would have just picked one of them and just gone, this is my modus operandi, you know, yeah. this is what I'm doing. But I think this album is quite honest in the sense that it just is me figuring stuff out and, you know, this each song block that I would write would kind of be one studio session and it has different flavours. Um, but I just thought it worked in the end. Like it's kind of surprising it did because I didn't have like 20 more tracks. People always say, oh, you have 30 tracks, whittle it down to 10 and then, <laughs> but no, like these were literally, I, I almost feel like I wouldn't have bothered finishing any of those songs if it didn't think that they were good enough, you know, it was almost like wait until you got something really good and then bring it to Dave and Stephen, you know, because mm -hmm. there's loads of half finished ideas on the hard drive, which will never see the light of day, yeah. you know, but you need to do that to get to the good stuff. I'll tell you, when that second album comes out, man, we're going to get that name, the, the, those potential <laughs> names out of you. But I guess lastly for now, before we move on, I, I will, um, I'm wondering, because like, you know, you're, you're, you're saying that you played that gig last week, uh, full, full house, and you played every track off the record. By all accounts, for anyone I know who was there, it went great. It must have been very nerve-wracking. It probably felt like, you know, playing your first ever gig all over again. So I guess my question is, what was scarier, doing that or coming up with a top five for no encore? That's oh, the question. That is tough. I'll be honest, <laughs> like, coming up with a top five for no encore, I, like, genuinely, and I don't want to sound like an arrogant prick, but, like, I wasn't... <laughs> Please <laughs> do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do want to sound like an arrogant prick. Um, I, I wasn't actually nervous going on stage, which sounds really weird, but... I think for me, because I did everything myself, I've done all my own PR, I've literally done everything um, and obviously get people to help along the way. But um, I think that the thing for me that I was most worried about was actually getting it, this whole thing to work, like yeah. getting the show organized, getting the band together, getting it all done. 
Um, and then once like we were about to go on stage, we had a really long uh, sound check and like pre-production day from 12 o'clock load in. Thanks to Steve Lovett, good, good man. Um, and we, yeah, so the moments before we got on stage, I was almost like, geez, I should be more nervous. But I realized I wasn't that nervous because I knew that everyone I was with were top notch and they're amazing band and great musicians. And I knew that they were all going to enjoy themselves and I was going to enjoy myself. So that was really nice. Um, so yeah, I think definitely top five for no encore was a bit more of a challenge. Amazing. Well, uh, on that note, I guess we'll move into our top five this week. So yeah, it's top five songs intended for art- uh, other artists. Neil actually came up with a really good list when uh, we discussed having you on, and like only for like a few of them we like we, we'd already done them, and I was like, oh, it's too early for a sequel. So like it was it was not for lack of enthusiasm, but in the end, uh, we went for this one, which is one that Craig thought of a few weeks ago. Yeah. We've and we've, you mistakenly thought that Neil had come up with. That I was did because we were, we were sitting in the like, studio. Oh my God, we were sitting in the studio, and I went, I went, oh, I think Neil came up with that one, and then you're like, no, <laughs> like it's mine. So what can I say? I just see what I see, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. We didn't necessarily go down the best and worst route. I don't think. I don't know about your ones, Neil, of course, because Adam knows what you picked, but Craig and I don't. Craig yes. and I are teaming up on this one, so it's essentially, you know, it's not like going to be like fifteen tracks. There'll be ten of them. Um, I guess before we get going on on this thing, I guess what was your kind of approach to this, uh, and also how did you find even like getting it down to five? Because that that can sometimes be last week, for example, top five songs with love in the title. Sometimes I'm like, there's no fucking way I can get this down to five. This is a nightmare. So how was it for you? So first of all, it was very enjoyable, and thank you. Um, getting five songs that are intended for other artists is probably a lot shorter list for that than there is for love songs. Yeah, <laughs> so so automatically, so. like you know, when you're doing a bit of research, you're like, okay, there's probably only so many. Um, I kind of just went with what I like and what kind of felt good um, rather than trying to go, what is objectively the best song? Although... In my opinion, they, it is objectively the best song. <laughs> what I like is objectively the best song. That's what you're saying. Uh, fair enough. As for me and Craig, um, I mostly deferred to Craig this week. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm having a... Well, I was going to say, you know, people can maybe guess which might have been the Craig picks and which might have been the Dave picks, but we saw I saw on a, on a lot of it, yeah. um, particularly at the business end, which is very exciting. There were some heavy hitters that aren't here. Uh, I, I won't say until the end in case Neil picks them, but like where Craig's ra- rationale was, they're a bit overplayed. And I was like, well, yeah, but like at the same time... You know, there's a reason for that. I kind of abandoned that, though. In fairness, Did and you? I ended up, I ended up kind of going. We compromised. With, yeah, there was ones that should, on quality, should have been in there, but I had to come up with some little rules just to yeah. get me out of it. And I was kind of thinking, like, you love your little rules. Yeah, I was like, okay, this, they have to be songs that were written with a very specific act in mind as opposed to just being like shopped around or something. Yeah, there's so a lot of that. One I put on myself, a lot of that in the pop yeah, game, which yeah. I was mostly kind of uh, sinking my teeth into. But yeah. I will say. The number one that Craig has selected, <laughs> it, I will, it blew my fucking mind. Yeah. So, but we'll get there later on. Neil, we'll ask you to kick it off. And of course, in the tradition of the show, um, rather than tell us what it is before we play the clip, uh, just do a generic lead in, and then uh, we'll all be shocked by the audio we're going to hear because I have no idea what Neil picked. He doesn't know what we picked, and you listener get to un- uh, un- uncover that mystery right now. So, Neil, take it away. So, I'm going to start by saying that this one was written by a pair. It was actually written by a pair who also have a song that's on the soundtrack of a Dexter family classic VHS that we used to listen to back in the day. So I think shout out to the Dexter family. Uh, The song was originally pitched to Janet Jackson for her album Control, but she went in a different direction at the time. Um, And also the the songwriting duo were quite surprised because they thought they had the perfect song. In the end, it went to someone, which I won't name yet. Um, And also, yeah, I think that's it really. Nice.
course that was um, Whitney Houston with How Will I Know and as I said it was originally pitched to Janet Jackson but she didn't want it um, I think it just works really well Her, there's such a great energy and apparently she got it in pretty much one take with the vocals so really who good. are the songwriting duo who wrote it sorry George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam and their boy meets girl uh, so ah, it was a few years later that yes. they have Waiting for a Star to Fall what which is song. on Three Men and the Little Lady which is a classic Dexter Family oh. VHS and there's a kind of similarity with those two songs yeah, I can as hear well it. Yeah, yeah. you hear the DNA or, yeah that's it's, really it's, interesting it's extremely 80s it's extremely sheen pop like it's fucking proper like you know I can see like you know shopping montage in like Mannequin or something <laughs> yeah this must be in a movie Oh, I'd say so, right? Yeah. <laughs> Adam's uh, on it. Adam's on it, of course. Three men and a little baby, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> Waiting for Start to Fall is amazing well. But yeah, I mean, like, it's weird. Like, Quentin Houston probably doesn't make this top five enough, does she? Like, we, I don't think she's ever featured. Did she oh. feature in... I don't know. Feature uh, in well, that's great covers. I don't know. Maybe. I can totally imagine this, the Jana version of this, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess um, so. But yeah, I don't, do you know what? I don't know a huge amount of Whitney Houston stuff outside of, like, the absolute classics. I don't know. Is she kind of slept on, like at this point? Um, I feel like when she comes up in pop culture conversation, it's usually in a tragic sense, as yeah. opposed to a, a a hardcore appreciation of her music, which you know is obviously a balance that should be addressed and needs to be. The scales need to be tipped for sure. Yeah. Um, how often does Neil Dexter throw on this track, though? Is what I, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, is what I want to know. Is this a, is this a, is this a you know an analytical uh, hipster pick, or are you are you a big Whitney guy? No, I, this is great. Like, <laughs> I really like it. It's not. It's not a hipster pick. No, there's no hipster picks. None. No, they're just what I like. <laughs> All right. Okay. Fine. Well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like like hipster pick. What does it, how would one even define it, Craig? You know, at yeah, this I stage? don't know. I don't know. Janet's kind of had that. Reevaluation, right? She was on. She was all over that Pitchfork initial writers thing. Was she? Uh, yeah, I think she's now seen as like the influential force she was in terms yeah. of critics. And she's also, you know, I think a lot of people are on her side as well. Post Justin Timberlake thing as well, of course. Oh yeah, that's that was a long time almost twenty now. years ago. It's almost twenty years ago. That's frightening. We're growing up. We're growing old. Are we? It's over. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, older acts, heritage acts, if you will. I believe you're number five, our number five, Craig. I should. I went to see Black Adam last yeah, night. You okay, did. it was a good, terrible, it was a, um, shock. hateful film. Like fucking. I can't even imagine buying a ticket to I, I, Black Adam. You know I went mean? for. I went with Mark, a former guest of the show, Mark Onroy. Former guest co- co-host, he is a legend. Um, stay prayed up, Mark. Stay prayed up, Mark. Um, and it was like we were. I literally was like, I was like, will we go see this movie for ironic, you know, trash purposes. And we laughed a bit, but like it, I, I came out of it afterwards. We, we got a pint afterwards, and I was like, I was like, I just feel really kind of depressed. Like I, I like I just feel like it was just a very hateful film. It wouldn't surprise me if like in America, <laughs> people left the cinema and they were selling like fucking assault rifles to teenagers. Or something. It was just like the message of this film is kill people. Like I was like, this Jesus. is awful. The Rock has no charisma. It's terrible. He's good in some stuff. He's quite funny. It's not. I'm very sick of him, but also in this movie, his character is just a stoic mass murderer. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. You need some humor. He's with an anti hero, but no, no, it's awful. It's well, while good. you so, were sitting through that, I was dancing around my room listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha! 
<laughs> Springsteen. Hungry harsh. Yeah. Adam, can we I, get a can we get a Bruce count, please, on the uh, on the on, on the top five? Um, yeah, I was in my white t-shirt, sleeves rolled up, cigarette pack tucked in my shoulder. Lovely. Um, yeah, Halloween's not till enough for a few more days, Craig. Uh, it's a bop. It was intended for the Ramones. Really? Do you know that? No. Yeah. Yeah, the Ramones. I was shocked as well. Um, so, late 70s, Bruce is off the back of Darkness on the Edge of Town, um, which was, you know, critically adored, but um, there was no hits on it really. O- until this point, he hadn't had much in the way of kind of um, chart success in terms of singles. Adam's got the count. Any guesses? Five. <laughs> this is the fifth time he's appeared. Okay. That's not too bad. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Two and a half years, that's fine. Yeah. All of his hits at this point have been written <laughs> for other people. So we've had Patti Smith's version of Because the Night. Um, I think that was a power ballad that I picked. So kind of a Bruce song as well, actually. So that maybe it's six ish, but um, she made her own. Um, he had, I think, Fire was done by, was that the Pointer Sisters? There's another song, Manfred Mann's Earth Band had a hit with it. Basically, he'd had like number one hits, but it was all other artists doing his songs, right? Right, right. Um, so it comes around to him recording The River, um, which was this sprawling double album that really like set him on the kind of the track to the commercial success he would have in the 80s. And he went to a show in Ashbury Park, late 70s. It was a Ramones show. He loved the Ramones. Patti Smith, I think, was there as well. The Ramones were apparently tremendous. <laughs> and afterwards, Bruce is hanging out backstage and he's hanging out with Joey, Joey Ramone. The legend of Joey Ramone. Yeah, and I think this was like very soon after Because the Night came out and Joey Ramone said kind of cheekily, just like, Bruce, will you like write us a hit? And Bruce Springsteen, being a lovely guy, was like, sure, Joey, I'll write you a song tonight. So Bruce Springsteen went home, wrote this song and was like, I'm giving this to Ramones. This is going to like put them over the top. And um, then he had a chat with his manager the next day. (laughs) I was going to say, please tell me he did a a David Bowie and Chris Martin on it and was like, it's not your best. (laughs) No, um, I think Joey Ramone would have accepted it. um, But John Landau was on the phone with (laughs) Bruce saying, you're not giving this to Ramones. (laughs) You've been doing this for years, Bruce, giving away your songs. You need a hit, Bruce. (laughs) This is a Bruce Springsteen song. So that's just what we heard there. It was, I think, the lead single on the river. Uh, It was his first big hit. Really? Yeah, paid off. I think went to number five. Hungry Heart, you say? It was his biggest hit until Dancing in the Dark. And the Ramones didn't do a version. He didn't. I never think, heard from again. Those Ramones. <laughs> anything. Years later, Joey Ramone was on some um, radio show, and he was just like, "God damn, damn that son of a bitch, John Lando." <laughs> I think he was joking, but he's like, "Bruce still owes us a song." And uh, yeah, all the original Ramones are sadly lo- no longer with us. Never really had the commercial success. But listen, but they have all those T-shirts that people wear who don't listen to the Ramones. Yeah, so, you know. So um, I guess their estates are making money. And hang on, the so, Ramones uh, had tons of timeless classic songs name five um, Pet Cemetery. I Want to Be Sedated yeah. um, Here Today Gone Tomorrow Sheena's a p- punk rocker um, Blitz Creek Bop okay okay fine, um, fine you 53rd and 3rd I would have also accepted the KKK took my baby away oh so uh, good oh yeah <laughs> so, yeah, yeah hang on um, when Teenage Lobotomy what, what, what month of the year does this, does this come out to me now um, I can tell you right now the reason I ask is because is it just me it's a uh, very Christmassy it's very Christmassy right yeah I think it's the Glockenspiel maybe it's, or it's it, chimey it's kind of or maybe I'm just uh, haunted for forever by his rendition of Santa Claus is Coming to Town which uh, <laughs> I fucking did and I would do it again um, are you much of a Bruce man Neil? Um, to be honest the, 
the album that I really liked was Nebraska and I listened to that and I was like wow this is lovely but I haven't really listened to much else other than that which I know is going to be yeah. well no no mad by the way Neil Dexter not a hipster <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in a similar boat we've talked about this before on the show it's like I just find the back catalogue intimidating it's just like there's just too much of it and yeah. like it's clearly there's some incredible stuff but like I don't know it's never I, I've never had the religious experience that people seem to have with, I've also never seen them live maybe like maybe that would change the game for me yeah so. maybe I haven't seen them I live I feel like either. I've listened to a lot more artists that kind of cite him as their biggest influence mm. than him himself like mm. the Killers for example yes, who I love the Killers and it's quite obvious how much they're influenced by him but I probably like the Killers more than I like Bruce Springsteen which is you know again I, uh, maybe on, I need to listen to more that is fair to say do not like, like trust me I think me, the like, E Street Band sound is so ingrained in culture that like if you're not already in love with the music and you stick it on it's like this sounds like a parody of Bruce Springsteen even though it's Bruce mm. Springsteen if that, if that makes sense well again I guess if your career spans that level of time as yeah. well you're inevitably going to kind of like go through all kind of weird different phases uh, one last question to Freenia before we move on to your next pick uh, recent Killers uh, what do you think of their current output um, Boy was a single, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And then before that, you had that kind of pandemic album, which was him doing very Bruce Springsteen record, which is like the hometown stuff, which yeah. I quite liked. Like, yeah, I, I enjoy it. When it, they put out a record, I, I generally enjoy it. And I kind of like, they're so bombastic and just over the top and the whole Vegas thing. It just works for them. Like, they get away with it, you know? Definitely. Um, and I think, you know, nothing will ever compare to Samstown, unfortunately. And even they say that themselves, I think. I think they think that that's their best record, mm. which it, it kind of is like. Mm. Craig? Yeah, I think it probably is as well. Okay. Um, I like some of the more recent stuff as well. I think there's some good stuff on his solo record. Remember his solo, he's got maybe two? I don't know, I don't listen to him enough, but I remember like making a concerted effort to check out his solo stuff and being kind of like, I don't know. Imploding the Mirage was good as well. I still, I mean, they played a couple of shows here recently and I've still never gone to see them live properly apart from seeing them at a festival. I should have probably gone. Utterly tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing them in Oxygen and I went to see them instead of Taft Punk and I got so much grief, <laughs> but I don't care because it was unreal. <laughs> All right, let's have your number four. Who have you got for us next? So, um, I'll talk through around the band yeah. right okay yes. cool so as uh, mysterious as possible <laughs> as mysterious as possible okay so another songwriting duo uh, one of them being a guitarist in the Nina Hagen band uh, these are the people who wrote it initially offered to this band uh, they did turn it down initially but and I feel like maybe that's cheating here but anyway um, they, it was also offered to a number of other people such as Billy Idol apparently I can't verify that Ooh. and also uh, Brian Ferry which who I would love to hear him doing a version of this song um, but he was too busy writing Slave, Slave, Slave to Love off Boys and Girls um, also um, I'm it, busy <laughs> yeah exactly uh, also was offered to another person who I won't name because they'll give it away uh, she also turned it down apparently because she was pregnant again I don't know if that was the reason or what um, but she is she was going out with or married to the singer of this band which you're about to hear oh, <laughs> um, I really hope some listener has figured this out <laughs> she managed <laughs> she managed to convince him to go for it after a lot of convincing a lot of rejection so, a lot of rejection That was, of course, Simple Minds with Don't You Forget About Me, which, of course, is famous from The Breakfast Club. Club. What a payoff. Uh, which that, that is intro. 
Yeah, it's such a great tune. And the fact that they didn't want it, they were like, no, we're not going to take this tune. Yeah, they hate um, it, don't they? I think they still are like... They, yeah, and I think they probably still do. And like uh, Keith Forsey and Steve Schiff, Steve Schiff's the one from the Nina Hagen band with the ones who wrote it. And they obviously were like, oh yeah, that'd be great in Jim Kerr's vo- voice. Uh, but they were really focused on, no, we want to do original stuff. Like, you know, we're a serious band. And unfortunately for them, I think this is kind of like their best song or like their most well-known yeah, anyway. Yeah, sure. It's probably uh, why they hated it, in fairness. So it's like, like it's a Sex on Fire did. situation, yeah. is it? Or well, because they didn't write it. Like they yeah, didn't yeah. even write it, yes. Yeah, and that would kind of drive you mad, wouldn't it? We spent our career writing like this great music and, you know, the one great song we well, didn't if, write. If you, take, if you take the fucking, you know, the, the if you sign the contract, lads, with the yeah. devil himself, you know. Sorry, who was pregnant and turned it down? Oh, yeah, so the Tender singer uh, Chrissy Hind or Hind, Hind yeah. yeah. Uh, so she was Jim Kerr's r- wife at the time, and she was also offered it but turned it down. And then I think she kind of just loved the song and kept trying to convince Jim Kerr to do it. And then eventually he caved. Wow! And then what's, we have this massive his, hit, his ultimate chagrin. Um, but it's an incredible song. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Like iconic, it's, like genuinely oh, iconic. Yeah, it's great. And even like just like hearing that like intro there, like it just stops you in tracks every time. I didn't know that they hated it though. That's interesting. Yeah, I've heard that before. When did that emerge? Like, like has this I always think, been? Yeah, I think it's maybe always been the case because they were really into their own stuff, and I don't know if they even really wanted to do it in the first place. And actually, you know that oh, all the stuff he's singing at the start that was kind of improvised. That wasn't originally there. So like they did put their own stamp on it. I think. Um, it it would have sounded the same with Brian Ferry like Brian Ferry would have done a very different version I would love to hear it but uh, I think this is the best one yeah, I mean, and what, what what would the Billy Idol version sound like? Probably closer to this than Brian more Ferry. Punky. The Brian Ferry one would be like trying to seduce you. <laughs> well, isn't that? You, don't yeah. you? <laughs> well, that was more Bob Dylan. Don't you? So, do you, so, so you you think this is ultimately a, a sad song, Craig? Do you? I guess it is quite melancholic. Um, it's very longing. There's a, there's a. It's kind of widescreen. It's it suits simple minds. I think I'm glad they did it. The Breakfast Club thing, of course, is the go-to. But yeah. I will say, I also associate it with. Um, I know with with this show, everyone is everyone. If you say like, what's the saddest moment in you know cartoon history or whatever, like people always pick a scene from Futurama where a dog passes away at the oh, end. Oh yeah, but fuck me. I would contend that just as emotional is there's an episode where Fry. It's about his brother. It's like the backstory about that. And it's like, you know, in the end, they go to like dig up his grave and like Fry is very vengeful about it. But of course, in the end, it turns out that's that's not the case at all. And he got it wrong. Oh. And it's a really sad, kind of melancholic, bittersweet, beautiful ending. And then this kicks in and it's just like, it's very much like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> like a show that I liked, but never like, I think I liked it for a while, but like that was like, that's up there. And it was a, just a great usage of the song. But um, that's fascinating to me that like they're presumably still a touring act, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Three arena type yeah. shows, people buying tickets because they want to hear this song. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. Probably paid for a good few gaffes and, you know. Oh, yeah. You can't complain about they've it They've had much. a good life. They're all right. All know. right, fair enough. Let's not be too sad for a simple uh, Remind me, Craig, what's our number four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, listener, see if you can guess who picked this one. See if you can guess who this artist is kind of imitating, I guess. I think it's pretty obvious. Life's begun, nights are warm and the days are young. Come with us, baby. There's my baby, lost my soul. Once I'm big and you save a little soul. It's David Bowie doing Golden Years and sounding a lot like Elvis. Is that fair? Did you pick up on that, Dave? You we were aware this was the song that we picked together, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I did have a scan of the uh, of the WhatsApp <laughs> chat that we had when we when we nailed these we're songs. We're on some down. more Dave-centric picks in a minute. 
that's fine. I mean, like, oh, this isn't not a day. I don't know. I mean, like, maybe it is not a fucking no. I mean, like, um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I will admit that I did kind of zone out for a second there, and I did think it was someone doing Bowie. So <laughs> <laughs> doing Bowie as opposed to doing Elvis. Yeah, very distinctive. Yeah, I suppose he can't get away with hiding his voice too much. Um, this was off Station to Station, kind of bridges the gap between Young Americans and Station to Station really well, um, with that funk workout sound, and it's. Yeah, it's a bit like the last one in that it's a bit of a throwback. So he's going for that Elvis style. He had a massive obsession with Elvis from like, I'm trying to gauge the ages, but yeah, probably young teens or something like that. Um, made a big deal. The fact they were born on the same day. Uh, even his last album, Black Star, I think was a reference to like this obscure Elvis B-side from the start of his career. Um, and there was a lot of kind of baked in, you know, myth of Elvis, king of rock and roll stuff in a lot of that um lyrical content as well so yeah Bowie's a weird one where he was such a kind of heroic figure for a lot of people but throughout his career he had his own idols that he obsessed over and tried desperately to work with like when he before he kind of properly broken through he you know wrote the song for Andy Warhol about Andy Warhol and tried to hang out with that whole factory crew and it didn't quite work um, he'd later kind of take Iggy under his wing really successfully and with this one he was like I'm going to get Elvis back on track so he wrote <laughs> this and apparently there was discussions between like um Colonel Tom Parker and Bowie's people because they're on the same label. Um, And it seemed like there was a green light for Bowie to produce an Elvis album and like write the songs. And it never quite happened. He offered him this song. It was rejected for whatever reason. Initially, there's a whole kind of, there's a few different stories, but apparently he was too nervous to properly speak to Elvis and like offer to himself. So he was like his wife at the time, Angie. He asked her, she had some connection to like, ask Elvis about it and he got like a note back being like uh, best luck on like your upcoming tour young man or something like that you know lots that, of sorry is that, you, is that you doing an yeah, Elvis impression being Elvis baby you <laughs> <laughs> like Alex Turner <laughs> from Sheffield um, and yeah but apparently there was some kind of progress thereafter I think Elvis liked the song and he's like maybe get that young David Bowie to do something with me and then Elvis passed away right um <laughs> Fun story there, Craig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. And Bowie's also dead now. That's true, yeah. yeah. Um, six years, I believe. Six uh-huh. and a half years this stage. Remember the day he died? Like it was yesterday. Um, Bowie count? How many times is Bowie? Bowie uh, no, we've, we did this recently. This has to be like number 10 or 11 at this stage, is it? No, yeah, far off, Craig. I'm going to go 13. No, eight. eight. No, oh, okay. Eight. Uh, two and a half years. Now, I mean, like, um, I, I, much like I put you on the spot earlier on, Neil Dexter, and I asked you about our, uh, Alex Turner versus Matty Healy. Bowie versus Elvis. Uh, who, 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 <laughs> Is that a genuine question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Here to I, grill you. I love Elvis, but I think, like, I don't know enough. I don't haven't gone into the same deep dive with Elvis as I have with Bowie, so definitely Bowie. But like, you know, obviously there'd be no Bowie without Elvis, so there's that whole thing. But oh. I love Bowie, so I'll, I'll skip Have you watched Baz Luhrmann's Elvis from yes, this year? Yes, I have, yeah. What did you think? So it was my daughter's first movie. It was wow. like, a, it was one of those, like, you can bring your kid to the cinema if they're only a little baby. So she's only like two months old. Uh, I think she probably might have seen some of it, I don't know. Screens aren't good for babies, <laughs> Ed, you know, so uh, no, she didn't watch any of it. Um, but yeah I, I enjoyed it like I mean you have to kind of just it's just a bit of entertainment like in my view mm. um, so I'm not going to get into critiquing it I don't really I haven't watched a whole lot of films recently after having a baby so I'm just going to enjoy the experience of going to the cinema and I have to say like he carried the film so 
Uh, Austin Butler. Yeah, yeah. Elvis. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, I really like the movie. It is like hell of a one to bring a kid to. I mean, I, granted, I know it's probably, I assume she's asleep for most of it, but like, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's fucking Baz Luhrmann just like with his machine gun. <laughs> I thought Tom Hanks was pretty awful, to be honest. It's kind of shocking, right? I mean, like, it is, it's a bizarre performance. Yeah, it really is bizarre. But like, you know, it's fine. You don't really mind that. You're like, whatever. That's true. And the songs sound great on the big screen. Definitely. Craig, you got to get around to it, man. I know, I will. I definitely will. I want to see it. All right, fine. Uh, Neil, over to you again for another um, elusive intro. Okay, it'll be as elusive as I can here. Uh, we're going to take it significantly more highbrow than that. Didn't, you didn't think that was possible. Wow, what a, what a, uh, what a dig. <laughs> that, that, me and Craig's pick. Um, okay, so this song was originally, uh, we're kind of going into the pop world here, uh, originally offered to a certain Australian singer. Uh, but was turned down as it didn't fit in with her album at the time. Um, there is a song off that album, which is an absolute banger called Slow. So you probably know who it is. Um, this is actually sampled. So the song that I'm about to show you now is sampled from a Bollywood film, from the soundtrack from a Bollywood film from 1981. Um, I'm not going to try and pronounce it in case I get it wrong, because I definitely will. Um, but yeah, it's an absolute banger. Baby, can't you see I'm calling A like you should wear a warning It's dangerous, I'm falling There's no escape, I can't wait I need it So that was Toxic, of course, Britney Spears um, it was originally offered to Kylie Minogue, which I think makes sense, uh, by a Swedish um, songwriting duo called Bloodshy and Avant. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yes. Um, I've heard of them. They're probably behind <laughs> lots of good stuff. But um, the sample is taken from, and uh, Adam will show you in a second what it's what the sample is, but it's uh, so, those songwriters must have been watching a load of Bollywood films or something, I don't know. Uh, but from 1981, um, and the strings are kind of haunting when you hear them on their own. Oh, yeah. And then their idea to sort of EQ out all the other stuff and just have those strings and then put them into the song and make it into this, like, spin disco slorgan uh, 2002 absolute <laughs> banger Yeah, I guess I guess on its own it could like work in an Argento horror film or something. Like it is proper. Like if you put it in the, in, a, in a spookier context, it's kind of nails on chalkboard stuff. But obviously in this genius level of pop production so good it's incredible and it is very standout like it is I, I remember working in Extravision at the time and it'd be on the t- it'd be on the TVs all day so it would and I was like this is amazing <laughs> great video um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the lyrics are some of the song was written by Katty Dennis as well um, yes. it was on board with it and I, I'm not sure. I think it's true, but there was a kind of story going around for years that it was about, it was written about the super vet. The Irish super vet, Noel Fitzpatrick, is it? That's the name, I think. <laughs> because, any, any relation? No, no relation, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, like she had been in a relationship with him around the time she wrote the lyrics and. Yeah. I, apparently, like it's. Incredible. I, I, I think that's been verified. I think that's been verified. Wow. That's just an extra layer, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible song. And again, also almost 20 years old, which is frightening. Mm. Um, but this really was, like, I mean, like, I'm trying to place the career for Britney at that point. Because it, it was pre the media destroying her. Oh, yeah. It was a comeback in a way, I think, yeah, wasn't I think it? Yeah, it was. And it was a real statement of intent. I think that was, is that her best song, do you think? Yeah, I it's guess so. It's got to be in the top three. 
Uh, what else would be in there? I like stuff like Break the Ice. I think it's a good tune, but Toxic is kind of triumphs overall. It felt like the first moment she got her kind of critical plaudits, do you know what I mean? From the hipsters as well, probably. Yeah, it's but like people kind of sat up and took notice and it's just like, this is a really like production-wise, very cutting edge and just interesting stuff going on. She's taking a chance and her vocal's tremendous on mm, it, like she really are, yeah. owns it completely. I yep. think Kylie sees it as the one that got away from what, what I, I read ask. and I think that's fair enough because it is kind of, it's really interesting It's and also shout out to the guitar solo, that's like a big moment. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 You do have to wonder, especially in the pop world where like, you know, like there are songs that will get chopped around and there's got to be like whether for one reason or another does someone eventually fire their fucking agent or are they like or their manager are they like what the fuck you, you passed that one um, and also yes I agree with you in your intro Slow by Kylie Minogue is an absolute banger it's a great song before we move off this track though there's a weird kind of you know uh, happenstance moment happening here because I got a text there from uh, Kieran, McGillis, uh, Kieran McGuinness of De Laurentiis fame who sent me a link to uh, a track I'm actually very familiar with but there's a th- there's a Twitter account online uh, that just exclusively shares new metal content so back in 2019 uh, some enterprising young soul uh, put together a mashup because uh, like, like you know, there's always like, oh, here's Slipknot and Justin Bieber stuff. Yeah. This is one of the better ones, and this just came through to me right before you hit that song, which is kind of scary. Here is uh, Deftones. It, it's Britney Spears Toxic, but it's in the style of Deftones. Change of the House of Flies, I believe. <laughs> Let's have a listen. Physical expression from Craig Kispatcher across the couch there. I don't think it quite works. It's an interesting experiment. (sighs) I mean, I guess New Metal was an interesting experiment, but uh, there's no (laughs) New Metal tracks in our top five, Craig, not that I'm aware of anyway. Um, You're aware of our number three, aren't you, Dave? I am aware of our number three because I picked it. There we go. uh, He's off the bench. Once again, (laughs) (laughs) I'm the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of this podcast this week. Uh, Again, weird kismet going on here because Kathy Dennis is involved and a aforementioned pop diva is involved. Here is our number three. Indeed, it is Kali Minogue and it is Can't Get You Out of My Head, written by Kathy Dennis, the yes. aforementioned, and Rob Davis. Um, this song uh, continues to pop up on kind of end of, you know, decade lists and such. Came out in 2001 off the, was it off the Fever record or is that the one that, uh, it was off the Fever record, yes. Um, and it's amazing. And it like, it's, everyone loves it. It's probably her most critically acclaimed song. It's a massive commercial hit. And it apparently was originally offered to... S Club 7, 
which I don't quite get. Bizarre. And Sophie Ellis Bexter, which I do quite get. Oh, that would have been glorious. Because I'd say, yeah, and again, you gotta you gotta be thinking Sophie Ellis Bexter is like, what I the know. fuck? I know. I mean, what happened? Like, I, I, that's just so wild to me, like, th- like that, that it didn't go to her, that it went to Kylie instead. I mean, like, uh, it has been said, though, you know, like, um, uh, I think Kathy Dennis said, even though Kylie wasn't the first artist to be offered the song, I don't believe anyone else would have done the incredible job that she did with it. Um, S Club 7, could you see it? No. And I think, was it Simon Fuller that was overseeing the S Club? I think he thing? was their manager, yeah. He turned it down because, like, I'm not hearing it for S Club 7, which is like, okay, fair enough. Right. It could have been maybe reworked. I mean, the, the melody so incredible. You think he would have been like, well, we're having that and we'll just butcher it. Uh, <laughs> God, he didn't. <laughs> fair play to Mr. Fuller. Um, but yeah, it didn't even get to Sophie Ellis Baxter. It didn't cross her desk. Is that um, true? Yeah. The first time she heard it was when it was out as yeah. a Kylie oh. song. And then she realized later that it had been moving around her label and her team and hadn't got to her. How does it not get to her? Like, who, who's asleep with the switch? I don't know. That don't is. Know. How'd you make that call? It must be one of those things where someone's employed to listen to, you get like a hundred demos at the time when she was, you know, a chart-bothering success. But like, does someone just, one person listen to it? And like, is this like the Mark McCabe five-second rule that he once talked about when he was head of programming at 2FM? And it was like, if your track doesn't hit me in the first five seconds, I'm turning it off and it's going in the bin? Like, I mean, like... Possibly. Is, like, is that how it goes? I mean, like, uh, yeah, if yeah. you're responsible, if, if you're listening to the show and you're responsible for not letting Sophie Ellis Baxter get a crack at this song, please let us know. It's no encore show at gmail.com. <laughs> Come on the show. Yeah, there's some quotes oh. from Sophie Ellis-Bexter here, and I'm not sure if I, be, like, I believe her, but it, it, the quote here is, I had an A&R man called Simon, and I spoke to him about it. I said, is that true? Did you hear the song? Was it pitched to me? And he went, no, no. <laughs> it came to Polydor, but it was pitched to S Club 7, a very pop band. Um, <laughs> she went, but she went on to say years later I ended up working with Kathy Dennis who wrote that song uh, funnily enough she wrote it with Rob Davis who I also did Groove Jet with uh-huh. um, I became quite good friends with Kathy and I said to her it's funny there was this rumour <laughs> and she went Oh, well, we did write it with you in mind. (laughs) Yeah, and she goes on to, as you say, be very kind of like, oh, I can't imagine anyone but Kylie doing it and it was meant to be or whatever. She had had the hit with the the Groove Jet song with Spiller. Does Murder on the Dance Floor come after this? So, yeah, this would have been pitched, or sorry, not pitched to her in about 2000. Right. And Murder on the Dance Floor came out like mid-2001. Okay. I think it was her debut album. It was... 2001 that the Kylie album came out as well so at the same time she was having a hit with Murder and Dance for Kylie was having a bigger hit with this song and this is obviously the much better song I, I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think anybody would, would dispute on yeah. that one but the Murder and Dance for is a big hit and continues you know, to persist to this day um, oh god that is like this it has to sting I mean, like, do you reckon she can't listen to it? I, I, I gotta, I gotta wonder. I mean, <sighs> as for Kylie, again, though, she's having a fine life. Is she? She hasn't released anything in years. I hope I she follow her. I follow her on Instagram, and she's. I think she was performing, and she did a lot of like, you know, Instagram story kind of showing around the place. And uh, she seems really nice. Okay, I'm gonna look up her discography in a second, but I'll, I'll let you gentlemen talk also, about by this. By the way, track. a big part of this uh, show's lore. Sophie Ellis Baxter. Yeah, you don't remember we did um, a quiz night in the Workman some years ago 
and my cousin Caleb came to it. Yes. He had a team. And we had insane prizes. We had... Oh, yeah, just, we did. We were, like, overflowing with tremendous gig tickets and we had a whole table set up and people could, like, if they... if they What was it? Did we just have a... We had a raffle as well. That's what it was. Yeah. And it was nuts. Called out, you could just come up and, ha- you know, take your, your pick of these incredible gigs. It's for, true. Like, the whole we, next we, year. we really went above and beyond to, to the point that it was quite ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin Caleb won a raffle. There was no... Funny business going on. No, he, he legitimately I don't one, actually yeah. like him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not uncommon yeah. for people who organise the raffle to actually win it from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, he went up. Uh, he was with his girlfriend and some other friends. And as a joke, he p- actually, what, what way did it go? I think his girlfriend said jokingly, oh, get the Sophie Ellis Bexter tickets, which we had. And, I think we, and he it, went up and yeah. picked them up. <laughs> panicked and walked off with them yeah. and it was like incredible and he could yeah. have had like Future Islands tickets or the National ticket or something like that yeah. it might have he been, went yeah. back to the table like I already being like what have I done yeah. and his girlfriend was like what did you do <laughs> <laughs> and they went to Sophie Ellis Bexter and apparently it was incredible I'd say it was really a great good. show uh, yeah, she, music now. her last album was released in 2016 it was called Familia which is appropriate because she got six albums and five children so congratulations to Sophie Ellis Bexter this is a great song one of Kylie's best and yes. um, I think it was around that yeah this, uh, we've talked about it before but like, this was also that weird time where people are like this uh, in, in th- this hag woman who's like 31 is somehow attractive Kylie, yeah, remember yeah. all that, that that was the tabloid stuff where yeah. it was like can you believe this old granny like 31 or whatever she was yeah, it, it was, was like they're like somehow somehow she's physically attractive still and it, hey, that's yeah. how it was I'm not surprised yeah, like yeah. It's, it's nonsense but like she was only 31 yeah. around that time like I yeah feel, she was I, definitely in her 30s I feel yeah. like when Spinning Around came out and like 30s. you know the hot pants stuff I think she was 30, 31 around like 2000, 2001 or something so it was like and, and again it genuinely was like yeah, there's hope for all of us yeah. <laughs> uh, an absolute classic an amazing song I trust you're a fan Neil but please cue up your next one so I'm going to try and keep this as vague as possible uh, but I think you'll get it straight away um, so the person who wrote the song or co-wrote it at least I think uh, initials a CD um, they also wrote it with another guy with initials RD I knew it oh. I knew it uh, <laughs> he, was, he was in a glam rock band called Mud back in the day uh, apparently well I'll get into the details but you may as well just play the track <laughs> So two things, if I may. Uh, first of all, Craig and I, like Craig's rationale for not picking some of the heavy hitters was, you know, like they're well known. And I was thinking, yeah, maybe Neil will pick one of those. I don't know. But I was like, we can't leave that one out, though. So, you know, it's fine. But more importantly, I completely fucked up the intro to the last song. Uh, you, you won't hear it. You, you, won't, you won't hear this on mic, listener. But like I, I, I got I, I got the uh, my our list wrong. I thought this was our number. Like it was this year our number two. But I'm just saying, I, I fucked it up massively. And there was a whole kerfuffle. And I copped to it because, unfortunately, I haven't really I haven't really done my homework uh, as much this week as I'd like to. But these things happen. Point yeah, is, black out Reason, <laughs> Black Adam. <laughs> like I mean, I paid thirteen sixty or whatever it was. See Black Adam. Um, the point is, right? Um, I'm on stress leave from work. The, po- the point is, <laughs> I genuinely am. The point right, is, yeah. um, it has linked up perfectly 
because Neil picked it in tandem with ours. So, so therefore, good. you could say, as my voice begins to break, You're gonna cry. <laughs> you could say, You're emotional, Dave. I'm always emotional. Uh, that's my secret, Craig. <laughs> I'm always emotional. You could say, uh, I nailed it. Neil, please talk about the song. <laughs> I think you covered most of it, but uh, (laughs) you did a great job. Um, So apparently it was written um, in about three hours, written and recorded the demo, which I believe because it is quite a straightforward track. Mm. Uh, But that's always the way with these amazing songs. Sometimes it does just happen very quickly. Uh, And as you said, originally pitched S Club 7, which is kind of weird. Uh, But apparently Kylie loved the track, so... um, and it, and it works so well for her. I think it's one of those tracks that like I forget about from time to time and then it comes on when I'm at, I don't know what sort of a session I'm at when I'm listening to that song. Probably not anymore after having a baby, but um, I'll just dance <laughs> around with the baby. Maybe that's what I'll do. Yeah, that's the move. Excellent. Okay, uh, we can move on. Craig, would you like to introduce? Sure, here's our number three, two. <laughs> hey. We It's Pharrell. It's fronting. Dave approves. I did approve. Along. I did approve, um, yeah. Yeah, this is... There was a lot of kind of Neptune picks floating around out there um, because they've obviously written for a lot of artists and like shop stuff around. Um, this is an absolute jam. So we both agreed it had to go in, I guess. But yeah. also I wasn't aware who it was written for. Mm-hmm. It was written for Prince. Yeah. Which makes sense when you listen to it. Like he's doing, and he's talked about, he's like, I was just trying to imitate Prince. And I was going like from my vocal stylings to the little kind of licks and stuff in there, it's all just me trying to do prime prints, which is like the audacity. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it now, though. I, I, I did not know this until you uh, until you unearthed this gem last night, and yeah. I and I approved it. I approved the list, everybody. So that was my that was my hard work done. You also thought about picking "Rock Your Body" by yeah, Justin Timberlake, yeah, which was intended for Michael Jackson, um, mm-hmm. Prince's old rival, and yeah, Pharrell has talked about how. Most of Justified, I think all but one song that the Neptunes put together for, well, for Justin Timberlake, actually it was meant for Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson rejected all the songs, which is just like, yeah. Um, (laughs) And around that era, Michael Jackson was having a bit of a comeback, wasn't he? What was that song with Chris Tucker in the video? Rock My World. World, Yeah, there was like a 20 minute video or something with Michael Madsen and it was not great. You kind of wonder, I mean... If he'd got his hands on those Justin Timberlake songs, would he have had a bit of a renaissance? We'll never Maybe. know. But they made Justin Timberlake. I mean, immediately it was just like, yeah, it put him into the stratosphere. Um, I probably was gonna like if we didn't pick Front, and I probably was gonna advocate for picking Rock Your Body because I have a weird relationship with that song. In that I was in a mental hospital when that came out, and I remember it being on the TV all the time and being like, "This is weird." And I and I couldn't stand did his. It help um, or? No, it didn't. No, no, not at all. But what did help though was I remember "No Good Advice" by Girls Loud was out at the same time, and I was like, "That's better. I enjoy that more." Because yeah. as we all know, Craig, as I've said a million times, Girls Loud better than the Beatles. But the point <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> so like, yeah, I was I was watching an interview with Pharrell. Um, I think it was Drink Champs or something, and he was talk. He was just doing his his kind of anecdotes and stuff, and he talked about the Michael Jackson stuff. And they were like, oh, wow, wow. 
got rejected by Michael Jackson. Brilliant. <laughs> and then he talked about this and was like, it was meant for Prince. And everyone was like, oh my God. It's like, yeah, but he rejected as well. These are not cool stories. He's <laughs> like, here is a mine actually wanted to record my music. Uh, I assume it Prince turned, well it down, turned it down in um, like typically vague and probably abrupt fashion, did he? Do we know? Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I think he... What did he said? Pharrell said at the time he just kind of had the melodies and he had a rough, a very rough demo that he sent to Prince, and it was very much a kind of I'm not into it. Um, <laughs> Leave I, me alone. Did Prince even do? Oh, he did. He, the most beautiful girl in the world was that written by someone else, or maybe it wasn't. Was that a Prince song? Has uh, he had? I'm that just is a Prince song. He, is it a Prince song? Yeah, I thought he probably wrote, is. I, I'm, I'm clearly mixing this up. I thought he wrote that for the time and then said no actually no I'll keep it I could be wrong on this that one, might though. be it because that sounds like something he would definitely do yeah 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 so but, um, the point I was kind of making was just like I don't think he's done other people's work in terms of like mm, trying to have a maybe, hit maybe he has and we just don't know it because like you know there's so many songs there though like yeah I don't know um, that's a tricky one I will I, I'm once again going to put uh, uh, so hang on I, I, I've got it here uh, Must Be of a Girl in the World by Prince 994 Development Plagiarism Case uh, oh, maybe that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, I think he wrote it for himself. He wrote it, he okay. Wrote it for his soon-to-be fiance. Yep. Oh, that's lovely. Um, it was probably his last big hit, and would this have been a hit? Well, what about doing Black it? Sweat in two thousand five? One of the most obnoxiously great Prince songs of all time. Yeah. It sounds like a car alarm on fire for the entire. Track. Was that on the album that came free with the Daily Mail? Yeah, three one two one. I think was the yeah. album. Um, so Neil, I'm once again going to put you on the spot. Pharrell versus Prince. Who? who you, <laughs> <laughs> Who you got? Wait a minute, you're not even doing Michael Jackson. Well, well I'm going to say baggage area. <laughs> based on Pharrell's performance at NERD in Electric Picnic in 2000 and whatever, I'm going to say definitely Prince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see Prince live? No. no. Did you? Neither. No. He did Malahide Castle. Yeah, didn't yeah. Go. No, I didn't go. Uh, I heard it. Was, I heard it was great. Yeah. Remember, he was supposed to do it was the Aviva. We'll see now. And there was the whole MCD lawsuit thing. Oh, okay. Right. Because there was right, the whole thing where like it didn't, like it. it I, I don't. I don't want to get sued, but like, <laughs> apparently it may not have been selling. And there was some whole thing where like, there was like talk of legal action, and then the infamous quote that Prince said about Dennis Desmond, the head of MCD. Prince said, "Tell that cat to chill," <laughs> <laughs> like, which is just brilliant. <laughs> but we won't get into that it's because, yeah, because uh, litigious uh, MCD. Uh, and, yeah, please don't come after me. Chill, MCD. Yeah. You're cool cats. <laughs> right. We love you. Uh, Neil Dexter, get us out of this hole, would you? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll get out of this hole um, by bringing, finding you some gold somewhere down there, maybe. Nice. I don't know. We'll see. Nice. Um, He's just dig, dig out some gold. Um, so some biographers say this was originally intended for a certain, certain crooner from the 50s. I wouldn't say we call him a crooner, but someone with a low voice. Uh, and apparently it was pitched to him a few years before his death. happens Craig here don't you number crunch <laughs> it's, it's double crossover which means we've been double crossed double crossed <laughs> um, who is this again so well first of all and most importantly it's brought it's brought the level I think it's nine and nine it's a draw for Bowie and Springsteen oh, oh, that, wow. oh I think God. from what you said earlier that's true yeah Woo-hoo. that's a good spot 
Wow. Um, so yeah, this is of course Golden Years by Bowie from, as Craig said earlier, Station to Station. Um, I think yeah, you said a lot of the stuff there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much covered it. Sorry, correction. I think it's five for Springsteen. Oh, okay. sorry, sorry. Oh, he is Fake news. A runaway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely one of my favorite albums, uh, Station to Station. It mm. was kind of in his Cokefield mania. Everyone knows the stories. Uh, <laughs> he but didn't remember recording any of it. No, I yeah. didn't remember recording any of it. Um, and I just kind of like, like this song always stood out to me on that record being like, does it belong there? You know, like there's so much weird stuff going on and then like, but it definitely does. It's a bit of light relief in some ways from the rest of the record. Mm. Um, but I just stuck it on again the other day and just listened to the whole of the first track and just like, there, when that comes in and the guitar, yeah. it's just a phenomenal record. Mm. Here, here. Yes. Um, which brings us to our number one. Speaking uh, of phenomenal records. Uh, Craig's number one, because again, let's, let's just be honest well, here. Craig did the book of the work here this week, but... Um, this was quite shocking, and I kind of feel like in the intro you need to say who it was for before you play the clip, because that will be the most... Okay. But 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 take your time here. I'd say, like, cue this one up, because it, it is... I, I, I thought about this since you told me this information, and I'm like... It's been haunting my dreams. I think I can see it, but, like, not really. Yeah, so this is featured on the show before. Oh, yeah. Multiple times, outside the top five, just yeah. it's... In the top five as well. In the top it has five. made a top five, yeah, it has, yeah. And, yeah, our minds were blown... When I discovered, yes, <laughs> just yesterday, only yesterday. I was reeling from Black Adam when I got this text message and I was like, what? That this song was intended for George Michael way back in summertime for humanity. Is that your Alex Turner? That's my Elvis. <laughs> Swallowing a lozenge. It's Santana. <laughs> Rob Thomas. Um, smooth. Yeah, Rob Thomas Give it the full this. title. What do you mean? Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, taken from the album Supernatural, which had a, a bunch of kind of collabs on it. Mm-hmm. It was Santana's big comeback. It was... Uh, the album was everywhere. That was, Gargantuan. A, that was the white ladder of uh, that year. And like You went to any Irish house, you saw that fucking purple mm. cover. Yeah. Um, Eric Clapton was on it, unfortunately. Excellent, yeah. Uh, Dave Matthews, big in America. I can, um, I, I can see Dave Matthews. If Rob Thomas wasn't available, I could see him doing this. Yeah, and ruining it. Of course, yeah. Um, um, Lauren Hill, can you imagine Lauren Hill doing this? Yeah. Oh, actually, that sounds really, It'd be really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Thomas had other things in mind, so he co-wrote this with Ital Sure, and from the get-go, he wanted George Michael to sing it. Hang on, Rob Thomas wrote this. Rob okay. Thomas wrote. He wrote the this. song. Okay, yeah. he wanted George Michael on. Yeah. Um, he was talking to Billboard a couple of years ago. He said, "When we finished the song, the conversation came around to who should sing it." I don't believe I was even in the running. 
But I was in the conversation with Clive Davis and his people about my thoughts on who should. My first thought was George Michael. In fact, it was George I had in my head when I recorded the vocals in the first place. If you listen to the melody and the cadence, it's an attempt to emulate his style in so many ways. I'm not sure I hear it. I can hear it. I can. Oh, you do as well. I can really? hear it. See, yeah. you need to divorce the Santana-ness of I this. I can't. I can't. <laughs> this is the problem. Also, if we'd still an episode title, yeah. divorce the Santana-ness divorce would absolutely be... Like, like if, you take, if you take out the guitar and think about it as like a smooth dance song this is in, in line with like say like uh, like oh, some of the stuff he was doing in like the Cowboys and Angels or something like 90s it's kind of outside-ish like it's yeah. a little bit outside like it's a bit like freak as well that kind of like you know like like yeah. his more kind of you know avant pop stuff can you hear it? what do you think? I initially I was like that sounds absolutely mad but maybe maybe I can a little bit like it's probably in the subtleties if you like zoom into the Production on it. I don't know. Yeah, I had a question recently. I don't know if I put it in the in the wrong core quiz, but um, I'm going to ask you now, Neil. Uh, in the song, this song, uh, he re- he references the midday sun. Just how many inches from the midday sun is it? In terms of the heat wave that he's going through, man, it's a hot one. Like X amount of inches from the midday sun. Oh God, I've no idea, man. No, no idea. Adam. Seven. It is seven. Yeah, seven. Uh, I can't do the pressure off Dolmens for some reason. <laughs> is so that a on. euphemism? Do you reckon? I don't know. I wouldn't be putting that. But hang on a second. Like, so, so, like, did it get to George Michael? Well, here's the thing, right? So the quotes continue, and after he talks about emulating a style, he says. Because we share the same manager, Excellent, I yeah. got the opportunity to spend a fair share of time with George. And after my third glass of wine, I would start to gush and he would respond as he did with everything like a true gentleman with kind words and insight. But then he goes on, I'll never be George Michael, but without George, I'm not sure I would have been Rob Thomas either, which is lovely. But he doesn't talk about a conversation they had about like, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, what happened was the record company heard his demo and they were like insistent that he sing it. And... Billboard says the rest is history. But how does he get onto like Santana's album with this? How's it not a Matchbox Twenty song? I, I, I have so many, so many. I think he was like working on the Santana album. Oh, okay, right. he was in the writing process. Like, do you know what I mean? It wasn't just like he was then shopping this around. But um, I'm kind of. I, it got me thinking. Why would it not? Did across George's desk, and I was like, this was being written in '98, pre summertime for humanity. This would have been coming together when. George Michael was having that kind of whole... He's being cancelled. Controversy, yeah. yeah. So was it a case of the record company being like, we're not getting George Michael it on could this be. song? It could be. It, it um, genuinely could be, yeah. Maybe not, but it, the, the kind of timeline sync up. You also got to wonder, the butterfly effect of this then being like, do we get Outside if he does this instead? Because Outside was the post-Tabloid yeah. Scandal song. Maybe which we was, get both. Which is one of the greatest songs of all time. Yeah. Imagine we got both. He'd be like, well, we did get this though. I mean, like, this is amazing. Yeah, it is, and his vocal on it's brilliant. Santana's well. the least interesting part of it, right? Yeah, let's I be mean, honest I like here. Let, let's let's bury that old man. Like, like, like <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Rob Thomas is a hero. <laughs> Santana is a zero. No, uh, like, hang on, sorry, Santana is amazing. You can't yeah, be ragging yeah. on Santana. Yeah, it's like, come on, it's not Clapton we're talking about. That's Santana, fair. That's, that's fair. Yeah. I, if, have you gone deep at Santana? No, never. Listen to Abraxas. Just stick it on, and just how much of a guitar do I have to be though? No, it's not about guitar. It's about vibe. He, okay. he doesn't do anything technical. He's just, it's just on a vibe. It's, it's all great. about the feel, man. Just okay. yeah, it's all about the feel. The, that, and that's the hipster answer. Excellent. We got there in the end. And Neil, we appreciate the vibe that you brought to the show this yes. week. So thank you for joining us. Woo! Woo!
Thank you. Thank you. Round of applause. Yes. And of course, the album I'll Be Ready is available from all good record stores? Question mark or it's available from the few that I delivered them to. So. Yes. And uh, <laughs> on my website, I assume as well. Yeah, neildextermusic.com on my website. Excellent. And uh, yeah, the aesthetic as well of the whole thing is, 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 is gorgeous. So It's you know. a tremendous, tremendous record. Really yeah. well Congratulations. Done. Thank Six, you so yeah. much. Yeah. Appreciate that. Thank really. you for being here. And thank you for being here, Adam, as well. We are, of course, in Adam's studio. Always a forever, baby. Uh, does this studio have a name? I think it needs a name. It does have a name. Blackgate Studios. No, Encore Express. Lunar Surface? (laughs) (laughs) The No Encore Express. The No Encore Express. Uh, Choo Choo! That's No Encore, everybody. Good night. (laughs) Choo Choo! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.